0: Marcus brings the curtain down on Stock Thousand, Johnny hits four of a kind, and Anna brings a whole new meaning to ride like a girl. Welcome to a Champions Edition Bike Life. Let's go! Yes, this is episode 81 of Bike Live on Motorsport 101 as we look back on a historic weekend of motorcycle racing at Corps, as three of the four championships within the World Superbike Panic were decided uh, in the middle of France last weekend. We'll talk all about the action uh, for Corps as Jonathan Ray made his own piece of history drawing level with Carl Fogarty for four World Superbike titles. Um, we'll also discuss the final crowning of a Superstock 1000 uh, European champion, Marcus Reiterberger, ...going down in the history books and keeping on the theme of history being made... ...the first ever female solo motorcycle racing world champion was crowned in the form of Anna Carrasco. She did not do it the easy way though, um, as we'll tell you over the course of this show. It was quite the finale um, in Supersport 300. We'll also talk about all the action from Assen last weekend. British Superbikes had their penultimate weekend... Uh, And although we do still have three races to go, the championship is, for all intents and purposes, Leon Haslam's, um, surely, even by his own standards, he can't throw it away from here. Uh, We'll talk about how he did extend his championship lead in over Jake Dixon, um, although Dixon has uh, very, very valid reasons to feel a little hard done by uh, from his trip Mm. to the Netherlands. Um, We'll also bring you all the big news this week. Um, We have calendars announced for British Superbikes. We have high-profile British World Championship riders um, that are going to be making their debuts uh, in the domestic series next year. And we'll get ahead to this weekend. It's the inaugural Thai MotoGP weekend at Boram, Ram. Um, and it got off to a flyer, no pun intended, uh, if your name is Jorge Lorenzo. Uh, joining me uh, this week once again to look back on uh, a history-making weekend at Magni um is Andre Harrison. And um, We've, in the past, Dre, done these shows where we've had no racing at all to talk about. Well, we're kind of spoiled this week because we have three new champions to talk about.
1: Yeah, it is a world champion edition, and of course, myself a in the international fantasy draft champion, runner-up, Andre Harrison, with you on this one. Um, I'm still mad about that, but uh, but uh, yeah, definitely a champion edition of the show. But I, I said on Twitter, hyping this shit up, it's probably one of the most historic weekends in the history of all Superbikes. Three new world champions crowned. One of them closing the book on an important championship in stock 1000. And, well, Anna Carrasco making history, riding like a girl. And, uh, well, and of course, Jonathan Ray probably now cementing his status as the greatest superbike rider we've ever seen. Um, a, a very noteworthy weekend in World of Superbikes, even if the action wasn't always the best across the board this weekend in Magni Corb, besides the 300 race, which was ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, a, a very, very interesting up-and-down weekend in, in, in the World of like. So, uh, yeah, a lot to get into.
0: Yeah, a lot to get into. Before we do that, let's tell you about the various places you can find us, starting on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. If you want to follow us on Twitter, at motorsport underscore 101. Um, our youtube channel youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 um, and our website is motorsport101.com Yeah, if you like all of our content so much that you'd like to back us financially you can do so uh, by going to patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 in return for your contribution you will get early access to both our weekly shows if you back us at the five dollar level back us at the ten dollar level you get access to our discord server and the ability to listen in to our shows live as a number of you are doing uh, right now we thank you um for doing so um you will have probably all by this point already listened to episode uh, one hundred and sixty-three of Motorsport One Hundred and One. If you are listening in live, but in case you haven't and you haven't heard it yet, um, it's live right now. It's uh, uh, an episode looking back on a controversial uh, Russian Formula One Grand Prix. Um, controversial. Well, what it lacked in excitement, it made up for in controversy. Uh, as Hamilton yeah, inherited the win from Valtteri Bottas. Um <laughs> no. Dre, Dre um, isn't on this week's show um, so didn't give his, his two cents worth on team orders um, but I suppose, Dre, mm. you were too busy drowning your sorrows about the man in third it's Just the sad like the absinthe tasted delicious if, if, yeah. if, if that helps um, but well, They've got a new what- mission, Dre, to win now
1: yeah it's like to to win now in other words is a really nice way of saying basically selling tobacco via cryptocurrency which is the new in thing uh, when it comes to motorsport sponsorship these days like all the crypto guys are are jumping on the bandwagon even though we have no idea what half this shit actually is um but I, i did some digging it is basically tobacco via the blockchain so which is a a key term used in cryptocurrency. So if those who are curious about why Ferrari's got in livery this weekend, there you go. <laughs> but, um,
0: but yeah, episode sounds. 163, most <laughs> uh, one part 101 um, with RJ O'Connell ranking and Chris DeHarde um, is available right now uh, as they look back on the, uh, the action that we did get at Sochi and also the other big news this week um, as Felix Rosenquist secures his spot on the IndyCar grid um, for next year. Yeah, and we'll talk a bit more about episode 164 at the end um, of the show because it is a big, big weekend of motorsport on both two wheels and four this weekend with MotoGP, Formula One, and um, a not insignificant race at Bathurst going on um, this weekend. Mm. Um, but let's get on with this show because there was some pretty significant action last weekend in France as well. At Mancini um as Jonathan Ray went to France looking to secure his fourth World Superbike title at the same location that he secured his third just 12 months ago, and uh, he did it in very, very similar fashion, Dre. I mean, he it was it was an incredible start to the weekend in that he admitted on Saturday that he'd done one of the best qualifying laps of his life and still hadn't got pole position um, on the Saturday morning, thanks to um, probably the greatest qualifier in history and Tom Sykes, who returned to form uh, and beat him at the post. Um, but there was no beating Jonathan Ray uh, in the race on, uh, on Saturday lunchtime, having um, followed Tom Sykes through the first lap, he absolutely carves up um, his Kawasaki teammate going through the uh, the Grand Corb um, onto the back straight on lap two, and essentially never looked back.
1: That, yeah, that's basically how it played out. I mean, yeah, welcome back to full fitness, Tom Sykes. You, t- you know, he's, he's, he's probably his strongest Superbike weekend in quite some time um, to be able to start from pole, but yeah, once Ray got through on lap two, there was no stopping him. Um, once again, his his race pace is completely unmatched um, in World Superbikes. Bikes, and once he took the front, there was no stopping him. Um, pulled out a few seconds in hand. He was able to ride so comfortably by the end. He was, all, he was celebrating through the onboard camera. He had his arm out through, through the penultimate corner sequence, going into the final chicane, celebrating, and Of course the enormous weedy over the line he he dominated race one like he's dominated so many of these races before um to take title number four and well what can you say about johnny that hasn't already been said um it's he is an unbelievable talent and he is an unbelievable bike rider and again just completely dominant no one had a a single answer for him in, in, in 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 that race and yeah uh title number four wrapped up in completely dominant fashion and uh i think we should take a moment lewis to appreciate for me one of the greatest title celebrations yeah, I was just about uh, to
0: come yeah. on to that um jason boland on the uh, on the discord server um saying but lewis that man has no charisma um uh, and johnson describing <laughs> him as, jo- as johnny best title celebration ever ray um, you have to say it was absolutely brilliant we'll try and paint you the picture of it um, those of you who play poker will know this uh, know what we're mm. describing but um, yeah Jonathan Ray pulls up at the Adelaide hairpin um, with three lookalike Jonathan Rays in um, in in basically the overalls and crash helmets to match the seasons in which he won those first three titles um, of 2015 mm. and 2016 they all sit around a poker table um, and Jonathan Ray essentially plays the winning hand of four of a kind which is four aces um, with each ace resembling uh, one of his four world titles. Um, and it, 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 was a, it was a tremendous celebration. And um, I'd imagine he probably had it planned anyway, Dre, but it is kind of one in the mm. eye for the likes of Gregorio who claim this man has no charisma or doesn't have as much charisma as he would like. Um, mm-hmm. Because I've never, ever had this thought about Jonathan Ray that the guy is boring. Yes, his dominance of the championship can be perceived as boring, but as, as, as Jonathan Ray has always said, what do you want me to do? Slow down?
1: Exactly. And, you, like, we. It, it's easy to forget that dominance is inherently boring especially when it comes to motorsport where dominance can be so common i mean hell i grew up an f1 fan and my early childhood was literally oh the guy in the red helmet wins um that (laughs) happened a lot growing up um (laughs) the
0: temptation amongst those who watch that sport is often to blame the man that's dominating when actually you should be looking completely opposite you should be looking at the people who can't keep up with them
1: exactly it's it's a sport at the end of the day it's i mean okay i get it sport has to be inherently entertaining for people to watch and enjoy it there, there has to be i mean there's always a debate about you know entertainment the the show shall we say the show versus the actual sporting integrity of it all I to- i'm totally here for that debate um as much as the next person is but point of the matter is is that one if that guy is that good where he can win eight races on the bounce and has won 14 races this season and has absolutely curb stomped the opposition into oblivion this year um what what do you want him to do about it slow down i mean i mean actively the series clearly did not do enough to balance the books um you know as I mentioned previously in this season, they already opened Pandora's box by reversing the grids. This was the path that Walter Bucks was going to go down, where it was going to go down the road of trying to make the field as level as possible, trying to maybe clone MotoGP success with standardized use. Um it hasn't worked <laughs> for lack of a better term. It has not worked. Jonathan Ray's leaving France of a 135 point championship lead with eight wins on the bounce and actually still has a very good chance. Um, if, you know, if the new round in Argentina holds up as well as all the others this season, he will most likely break his own all-time points record from last season, 556, um, which he can even afford to take 90 out of Who the last 100 points.
0: have seen that around uh, Phillip Island, Thailand time earlier this year.
1: Right. When, when, he, when he had a fifth and a second that opening weekend of the year, he's now on track to break his own points record and on track to break the all-time record for World Superbike wins in a season, which stands at 17. Jonathan's already got 14. With, so if he runs the table the whole way which heck isn't really unthinkable at no, the moment given the how eight. well he's riding yeah if he, if he can if he's already won the last state if he runs the table for the end of the season he will have 18 which will be a new world team record um what can you say i mean for me I don't think Johnny's a boring character. He's not afraid to speak his mind on occasion. I think he does have a level of charisma that comes with his success. And if you want to double down on that, the man was on BBC Breakfast a day after winning said world title and did a whole flock of media rounds for his new autobiography, Dream Believe Achieve, which came out yesterday. Um, So, yeah, like we have a four time world superbike champion on British mainstream media that's awesome for bike racing in general because we just don't get that here in the UK i mean like we mentioned it during the romano fenati incident that you know fenati was getting mainstream press for for all the wrong reasons like, Jonathan has done it the right way. And, you know, if, if there has to be some level of appeal to, to Jonathan if he is getting these sorts of opportunities.
0: And he entertains um, the uh, the British public with that into on daytime TV as well because he revealed that even though he is a four-time Superbike World Champion, he doesn't actually have a uh, rider's license in the UK. Yeah. Uh, so he can't actually <laughs> ride a motorcycle legally on the roads of Great Britain. Um, which is not that the
1: most hilarious irony of them all? Exactly.
0: Um, <laughs> Jonathan Ray, ladies and gentlemen, and actually, when we talk about the way he won this title, um, we actually have to go further back than the opening race of this season. Um, mm. We have to go back to the end of last season because I think this we're in that position now with Jonathan Ray, where he is so dominant that he's able to get himself ahead of the game for the following season um, by basically starting his preparation after he's won the title the previous year. I mean, I think of um sort of formula one scenarios and the best examples i can think of are 2009 and probably 2014 where um teams that had fought for the championship the previous year found themselves so far behind the next year um because they were unable to start development of the next season's car when rule changes came in um and we saw the likes of Braun take advantage of that in 2009 and mercedes in 2014 where in those Mm. cases it was ferrari mclaren and in the latter red bull who struggled the following season because they developed their way all the way to the end of the previous season. Um, yeah. In this case, in World Superbikes, because Jonathan Ray is, is winning these championships so early, uh, I mean, hell, he's only been taken to the final weekend once, and that was by his own teammate, Tom Sykes, in 2016. So even on that occasion, Kawasaki knew they were going to win it anyway, um, whether yep. it was Ray or Sykes that won it. Um, so Jonathan Ray is able to be mindful of rule changes, and we cast our minds back to sort of October November of last season, Ray. Jonathan Ray was mm. saying in those final two or three rounds of the season and obviously in the tests at Jerez that followed the final round that because he knew what regulation changes were going to coming in were going to come in he was already able to ride his Kawasaki in a rev limited state to prepare himself for the new season and essentially he was more prepared for the rule changes that were supposed to stop him than any of his rivals were
1: yeah, it's it's the power and the luxury of Kawasaki's resources and Jonathan being so good and wrapping the title up to, with two rounds to spare that he has the luxury of being able to prepare earlier for next year, knowing that the previous title's already been sewn up. Um, it's, it's an incredible luxury and the nature of being world champions. And, and you're absolutely right. He was so far ahead of the curve. It reminded me a lot of Mercedes in 2014 and remember that Sebastian Vettel won the last nine races of 2013 only really because Red Bull insisted on keeping their foot down during the loss of the V8 era and it came back to bite them the following year Kawasaki's gone the opposite they've been able to win the title and shut it down uh, and you know prepare themselves for the following season and yeah it was a bit patchy to start off with I mean they didn't have the best of starts for Jonathan that season he was in a flock of Ducatis at the early part of the, of the 2018 season. But once they found their footing, I think Imola was the game changer. Like, they like, like came through Assen. He was still splitting wins with people like Chaz and Sykes and won his first round in a while in Assen. He comes to Imola, which was Chaz Davies' land up until that point. Um, beats Chaz for a double in Imola, of all places. And I, I remember me sitting here, Lewis, after that weekend, and we were going, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. We were sitting there going, uh-oh, this doesn't look good. And he, he, he just became that guy again. You know, Vandermark took Donington and, you know, Bruno was heated, to say the least. But he's won nine out of the last ten races. Um, and the only one he was was that DNF in Bruno, which wasn't totally his fault, really. So, you know, it's... It, what can you say? He, he's got every... He ticks every single box you can need. He, he's ridiculously fast. He can wrap a title up early. He's that dominant. And Kawasaki who was under the cosh this season with, you know, having to shave several hundred revs off their engine to the point where they ha- they were revving less than their stock ninja that they sell to the public. That's how low a rev setting they had to run. And they changed settings around on the bike, and by Imola, he was practically unbeatable again. It's, it's an unbelievable unison of rider and team, the Kawasaki team, and for all the talk, Perry Arriba has done a sensational job of craft in this dynasty now in world Superbikes, of jonathan with four straight titles tom sykes has, has had his role in kawasaki success as well for, without a doubt the, the greatest qualifier of all time a world title in his own right very nearly had two or three under his own belt himself it's an incredible legacy that kawasaki are forging for themselves in this championship and you know, Jonathan and Kawasaki need each other, and they are reaping the rewards of that. They are they are an incredible partnership, and long may it continue.
0: <laughs> yeah, they are. They're 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 an incredible double act. Jonathan Ray Riva, um have got that incredible relationship with each other, where they're able to get the best out of, but not just their rider, but the machine. Um, that Perriba is trying to help set up. And and yeah, you were right to point out the Jonathan race started this season both ill and injured um, at the opening round of the season in Phillip Island. Took a fifth and a second out of that race weekend. And it was only the uh, the straight line speed of that Ducati down the home straight at Phillip Island that cost him the win um, in race two that weekend as Malandri doubled up. Uh, Chaz Davies then took race two at Thailand as Ducati won three of the first four. Uh, that became four of the first six once Davies won race two at Aragon. Um, but Ducati haven't won since then. Um, as rev limits have been tweaked and it's clear that Ducati um, either plateaued due to that or perhaps as as Greg Haynes suggested when he joined us on the show three or four weeks back that perhaps Ducati um, just perhaps surprised themselves with how well they started the season and perhaps their true level was actually what we've seen since then um, with their relatively uh, modest return and of course they haven't won since um, the sixth race of the season and we're now, what, 22 races in. Um, to this season. Um, But as you say, Dre, Imola will probably be one key turning point where Jonathan Ray took his first double of the season because he didn't win either of the two races at the following round at Donington as Van der Mark doubled up for Yamaha there. Um, But I I guess another key moment in this season, and I think it's key in as much as it's the last race that Jonathan Ray didn't win, um, was that race to Bruno and the implosion at Kawasaki between Ray and Sykes. A moment like (coughs) that can quite easily... You know, damage a rider season that can, that can have a knock on effect the disappointment of that. Um, and, you know, they can struggle for two or three rounds after that. But Jonathan Ray has had a 100% winning record since, which tells you all about the mind of a champion that Jonathan Ray can take a massive hit like that, a massive disappointment like that, and essentially run the table ever since.
1: It says a lot about the state of play in that team. It's it's uh, you know Sykes really did lose his rag after that Bruneau weekend, and this like race one in Magny call was his first podium since then. He'd be uh, he'd be he'd barely dented the top four since um and um since Brno, and I, I, I suspect Sykes was riding like a guy who knew he was good to fit out of the door by that point in time. Jonathan, you know he, he stood he stood his ground. He did you know, he didn't believe the stuff that slacks was coming out with and he, he he said he wasn't there to make friends he was there to get on with it and get on with it he did he came straight back and has has been literally undefeated since um it, it says a lot yeah he, he, he took it that his title did take a significant psychological blow with that one the Yamahas are trying to reel him in a little bit van der Lough just had a really big um big weekend Lows had his breakthrough by getting his first world superbike victory as well in race two the very race that jonathan was taken out in um and yeah jonathan has ran the table ever since um it's if it was absolutely a critical moment it was like jonathan had been let off the leash by that point in time especially knowing sykes was probably out of the picture by that point in time anyway and yeah four straight double victories it's um it's, it's unbelievable and you can see that you know you're you're not going to beat jonathan in the mind game stakes either because you know winning solves everything it really does in 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 sport in general um the best way to shut somebody up is by winning and jonathan has done precisely that and yeah i don't think anyone can argue with that logic
0: i mean i mean what's the end game i wonder here i mean i'm almost going to ask an impossible question here now but it's like what what will it eventually take to beat jonathan ray um over the course of a world superbike season because it's not like he's just he's not like he's just won four titles he's won all four titles with plenty to spare um as i have mentioned he's only been taken to the final weekend once and even on that occasion when sykes took him to qatar in 2016 ray only need, mm. went to the final two races needing a couple of points to win the title so he's not been taken to the final race at all um nope. so it's not exactly he's not exactly been run close and he's not been run close by anyone on a different make of bike um for the title so it's not just ray but it's also kawasaki and that whole combination that are so dominant um so what, what is it going to take? I mean, I mean, next season, for instance, we've got a world-class rider, a Grand Prix world champion, Alvaro Bautista, uh, joining the Aruba Ducati team on a brand-new V4 Panigali, But in your heart of hearts, Dre, do you give that combination any hope against Jonathan Ray over the course of a season?
1: Do you want a short answer or the long answer? <laughs> um, <tell> <laughs> a um, short answer, no. Um, long answer, cross your hands and pray. Um... It's... It, there's a lot to look forward to in the Ducati camp. I mean, Chaz Davis is... On a, on a, I mean, Ducati are very excited about their new V4 Panigale. Um, you know, taking the shade out of their MotoGP tech by having a V4 in... In, in in, in you know, the, in a very short wheelbase bike in that Panigale. It's a great bike. And... The thing is, though, I fear it's going to take too long for them to get that bike up to speed. They've not ran it in a competitive environment yet, and it's and this like when they when they get the philip Island to start it again in next March, it will be the first time they're going to run it in a competitive setting, um, and no one really knows how that's going to go. Um, so, yeah, I, I there's a lot of risk in this in in Ducati running this new bike so soon. Um, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. I mean, this seems like an all-in year. I mean, they had to convince Chaz to stick around. Um, I I heard that Chaz was asking for more money because it could be a development year for him. Um, going forward, and Alvaro Bautista is, is a wild card. We have no idea how good he's going to be on that bike next year. In in contrast to the rest of the field, Bautista's a great GP rider. How how long it will take him to a, to adapt to a superbike as opposed to a MotoGP prototype remains to be seen. So I think. From where I'm sitting, I think there's too many question marks in that Ducati camp for me to have any sort of faith in them to bring Jonathan down, unless there is another major um, regulation change coming that's specifically designed to target the Kawasaki's. It's almost like are they, they going to say, "Oh, you have to run a 300cc bike or something"? Is that going to be the, the way around the problem here? I mean, it didn't work. It almost go, which we'll get to later on, but. Um, that I think is the only. I, mean, I think it's going to take a drastic regulation change for you know, the, the, the you know, for the tides of you know superbikes to shift because the Kawasaki looks un, looks unstoppable right now, especially with Jonathan on 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 tow. I mean, we don't know how Haslam's going to perform as a second rider yet, but I mean, uh, what reason could you have to bet against Jonathan for next year? If anyone, if anyone's got a valid argument. To hear it because I've got nothing for you here. <laughs> no,
0: not at all. And we were going to ask the question whether we consider Jonathan Ray now to be the greatest world superbike rider of all time, but I think we could both save ourselves a bit of time and both agree that he probably is um, the, the greatest yeah. world superbike rider of all time. He's now joined Carl Fogarty with four world titles. He's done what Carl Fogarty could not do, and that is win all four consecutively. Um, he has the all time record for the most wins in the history of world superbikes, which I believe is up to 68 now. Um, all-time yep. um, in World Superbikes um, he also um, has uh, over the course of his career 30 um, uh, I'm just looking at the uh, the records in MCN 52 fastest laps which by the end of next year will be an all-time record because he's only 7 off the all-time record of Noriyuki Haga um, he has 3,651 and a half points which is 370 off the all-time record held by Troy Corsa who was in World Superbike Championship for absolute centuries um, yep. um, by the end of next season, he'll have that record as well. So you're not going to expect Jonathan Ray to score less than 370 next year, are you? Um, <laughs> especially when he could possibly take another 100 out of that before this season's out as well. Um, <laughs> exactly. Which is incredible. Um, he's, without question, I think, in our minds, the greatest world superbike rider ever. And in terms of what it's going to take, Dre, um, to to stop him now, I think it's going to take either a another manufacturer arriving with a bike that is not just as good as the Kawasaki, but a level better than it. Um,
1: Significantly better. Because, mm. because
0: we saw earlier in the season, at Aragon, for instance, that the Giacati was quite clearly the stronger bike, but Jonathan Ray went out and beat them anyway um, yeah. because he was that good. So I think the only other thing it's going to take is uh, it's going to take a rider of that sort of Marquez, Vizioso Rossi, Lorenzo tier to come across and race against him in the World Superbike Championship to beat him. And, and clearly none of those riders are in any... Um, they've got no inkling <sighs> to go to the World Superbike Panic anyway. Um, nope. But that, I suppose, begs the, the other question, which is, in the in the outright pantheon of motorcycle races at the moment, forget World Superbikes or whether Jonathan Ray's the greatest ever, in terms of the best motorcycle racers, pound for pound, on the planet right now, surely Jonathan Ray belongs in that company.
1: I think he is in top the five? top top two or three, quite frankly. I think the only guys I would say right now that are in his ballpark it's probably Mark Marquez, Andrea Levitsi and Jorge Lorenzo. I think those are the, the clear three best bike riders in MotoGP right now. Uh, you could probably throw Valentino in there still, because let's be real here, Valentino was was runner-up in the championship for high, over half the year. On a Yamaha, it seems to be getting worse by the weekend. Yeah. Um, so... You know, I have to, I have to salute Valenzino for, you know, dragging that Yamaha to half-decent finishes on, on, on several occasions in MotoGP this season. But pound for pound, I don't see how you can't have him anything outside of the top five. I've, I've, he's an incredible rider. And like you said, like... For, like to double down, like completely echo your sentiment, he is for me the greatest superbike rider that's ever walked this earth. And the only question for me is how far does he want to take these records? I mean, he he did a takeover of BBC Sports Instagram uh, when he was in the when he was back in the UK on Monday, and he and he was asked, you know, do you see yourself in MotoGP? And he said himself, he's 31 years old, and he thinks it's going to be unlikely that any team will ever come knocking. I think last, I think this past silly season. Was the best chance Jonathan was ever going to have of that because half the field was still all over the place by the time we got to Le Mans, which is pretty late by MotoGP city season standards these days, um, and nothing. So, yeah, the question is how, how far does Johnny want to go? How motivated is he to keep riding at that level? Um, you know, would would he take a MotoGP job? Because I don't think he would. I think Tom Sykes made that point when he was world champion that he's not leaving the series unless it's a top tier factory seat, which was never going to happen because for the better or worse, MotoGP bosses don't believe in world Superbox. And you would think Jonathan has done enough to convince them otherwise, but clearly not, um, which is a shame. Um, and I don't, again, I don't, as you say, I don't see any of that top three or four coming back the other way anytime soon. So yeah, from where, from where I'm sitting, um he's probably a top two or three rider on the planet pound for pound and he is an incredible talent an incredible rider and right now i think his stock is is as high as it will ever be by being the face of world Superbikes, as opposed to being just another guy in moto gp given how stacked that series is and given that they are bursting at the seams of young talent because over on that side of the ladder, everyone is trying to find the next Mark Marquez rather than just taking the best rider available necessarily. So the di- the dynamics and politics of it means we'll never really get a clear answer. But if from where I'm sitting, top three or four from where I'm, from far as I'm concerned. Mm,
0: yeah, it's looking that way. And uh, we were going to discuss the the battle for second at the moment in the championship, which looks like it's taking a definitive swing um Chaz Davies's way with his two results at. Uh, that magny call last weekend. He's still not got an unassailable lead over Vandermark, but with too few races to go and a slightly bigger lead, um, it's now looking like it's Davies' is to lose to to you know to hang on to that runner-up spot, which would be um just reward for him, although he doesn't still seem to have that ultimate consistency um to match it on over a season. He can beat him on his day, as we've seen, um, but he's just as likely to throw it at the scenery than he is to um to throw it onto the top step of the podium, it seems these days. Um, so I suppose if we're going to look within World Superbike Stray for a likely contender to Jonathan Ray, I, t- I suppose is the likeliest op- uh, possibility within the World Superbike Panic at the moment. Michael Vandermark and Yamaha, surely, uh, surely the series is begging and crying out for that rider bike combination to make that final step up because they're getting there.
1: They are getting there, and Michael Vandermark um, didn't have the best weekend in Magnicor. I mean, seventh and a third, not too bad. Um, He's been on the podium four out of the last five races, Michael Vandermark. And Yamaha has clearly taken a step forward this year. There's no doubt about it. They've had three wins to their name already this year. They're on the podium now. He's been on the podium
0: ten times this season, Drake. Yeah,
1: massive improvement for the Amar from where they were last season. So, compare
0: that to Alex Lowe's, by the way, who I couldn't believe this when I read it. Alex Lowe's has only had the three.
1: Yeah, like Lowe's has been beaten to a pulp this year. There's there's no getting around his is eighty six points in front of him um, with four rounds to go. Like they were they were fairly evenly matched as a as a partnership until the second half of this season, and then. Donington happened, which was meant to be Lowe's signature round. Lowe's only finished fourth in both races. Van der Mark won them both, and, he's, and Van der Mark's not looked back since then. Um, Lowe's has made mistakes here and there. Sometimes he's just been poor in general, like in Portimao. Just did not have the pace all weekend long. His teammate had a double podium finish that weekend. It's those sorts of weekends that has put Lowe's back. But, yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I think, I mean... I suspect Chaz Davis's ship might have sailed Um, when it comes to him being a credible contender to Jonathan Ray because he he had a half decent chance two years ago and he failed to cash it in. Um, You know, he had opportunities, but you think he made just one too many mistakes over the course of that season. I'll always have that fear going through the back of my head when it comes to Chaz Davis, who, by the way, has not won since race two at Aragon Mm. in the third round of the season. yeah, Ducati not won a race since then. they I mean, the team that's... St- remember after after that week, after Aston's weekend, I think it was, after that was after Aragon, they had 250 revs. They gave they gave them 250 revs back. Actually, no, they were the only team that didn't get revs give, put back on the bike because they yeah. thought that was the best bike in the field and they've not won a race since then. It's funny that turn now, isn't it? Yeah,
0: and um, Yamaha have gone on to win three races since then. Um, and of course, Kawasaki have won all the others. Um mm. Uh, well, with one exception, Jonathan Rays one all the others. Um, and yeah, I think Vandermark is the only rider I can currently see in that paddock who has perhaps that extra level, that world-class level in him. Um, because I still think he's at an age where he's going to get better. Um, he's within a team that is certainly progressing and making moves in that direction, but it's perhaps getting there slightly slower than we'd hoped. Um, but I think that's our best shot. And I think when we're looking ahead to next season, Dre, if we're because there are so many question marks surrounding the Jacati Panagali Bautista combination. Obviously, we don't know Chas Davies. We think we kind of know what Chaz Davies is now. Um, he's a rider that will guarantee you probably 350 to 400 points, but he will, he will not quite be at that Jonathan Ray level because he doesn't have the level of consistency. I think if anyone is right. going to chase Jonathan Ray moderately close to the end of the season next year, surely it is going to be Vandermark and yamaha
1: yeah, I think that's your best chance, depending on what Van der Mark does with his future. But yes, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you there. I think the best, or the biggest, significant overall threat in World Two Bikes to Jonathan Ray is probably Michael Vandermark who's still young, who's you know, relatively is twenty-five in the series where all the other big runners are in their thirties or older.
0: And in the, um, and in these eight races that we've seen Jonathan Ray win consecutively, it's Vandermark that's probably ran Ray closest through that period. For instance Mizano race two, he pushed into the end there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like Van Mark has definitely been a, a bigger like he passes the eye test and the scoreboard where you look with your own eyes and you see that guy that's being a more consistent threat right now without a doubt is is vandermark and like he's only going to get better as a ride he still needs 25 the yamaha team you know the crescent race and the Pata team that is running that yamaha is has, has significantly improved um you know in the last year and if they can, if they can find a little bit more and they can get vandermark from maybe two or three wins to six or seven, who knows? Uh, like that, that would be the next step forward. If we can turn them into, a, into, into semi-regular winners, then I think they'll be in a, a really good shape going forward. But mm. uh, they need to find a bit more. But I think of everyone else in the championship, given that we know that, again, we like as you mentioned, we sort of know what Chaz Davis is now as, a, as an overall quantity to the series. So... If Vandermark can find a little bit more, or Yamaha can find a little bit more to help him. Then I think there's definitely a good chance that uh, the Vandermark might be the threat going mm. forward.
0: Especially when you also factor in the fact that of the other factories, the other manufacturers within World Superbikes, Envy goes to look like they're not going to be around in in the top class next year. Mm. Um, and of the others, BMW and Aprilia aren't really offering that full factory level of support to their teams. And the only other no. factory that is Honda. And I still, at least, I think, at least two years away um, from being anywhere near um, being able to contend for a championship. They're not even contending for podiums yet. Cameo has not been anywhere near a podium uh, of a World Superbike race since he had that fourth in Thailand right at the start of the year. They have really fallen off um, since then, as uh, Cameo, of course, has had his injuries um, since that point. Uh, one other line, though, on the World Superbike class before we move on, so we've got a lot to get through. Um, two riders who enjoyed returns to form and returns to the rostrum. Um, last weekend. Tom Sykes, who, as I mentioned, um, set that stunning pole position on Saturday, um, extending his, his own record now. He's up to, I think it's 48 career Super Poles now um, in World Superbikes. Um, went on to finish second to his teammate Jonathan Ray in race one on Saturday. Uh, and Chevy Forres, who finished third behind Sykes in that same race. Um, two drivers, Dre, who've had their problems in the second half of this year, uh, Having mm. both um, started the season fairly well. Um, of course, we forget that after Philip Island at the start of the season, Sykes was ahead of Ray um in the World Championship, yeah. um but has obviously only won once all year. But it's amazing that we're talking about two riders who uh, are both clearly known quantities in this paddock We both know, or we know how both those riders, uh, how good they can be and how good they have been. Um, they were both on the podium last weekend, yet both riders at the moment have a genuine chance of not even being on the World Superbike grid at all next year.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of talk regarding those two futures. I mean, I, I find it mind-boggling to me that Sykes, you know, is is not as in demand as we thought he was going to be um, this season. I, I find that incredible that that's a thing um, you know Sy- okay Sykes is a bit of an own quantity but he is still a former world champion and he is still the king of qualifying and that is, there's inherent value in that um, he's not the oldest guy in the field by any stretch either so I don't see any reason why there isn't teams lining up to take him. Um talk from Steve English after the race weekend uh, and um on Motor Matters basically said that Oh, it looks like it looks like the number one option is going to Milwaukee, whatever bike they choose to run next year, because it's looking like they might not run a prelius. Um
0: and, Laverty and Sykes uh, would be a good combination for them, wouldn't it? It's a very strong team. Um,
1: like like Laverty's probably been the big loser out of World well, Superbike City season, given that he was rumored to be with potentially Kawasaki and Ducati as a, as a potential replacement for Melandri and and Sykes respectively, and it ended up with with him, you know, staying put in a prettier uh, even though there is a chance that a prettier isn't going to even run next year, um, you know. The Milwaukee guys might have to figure out what bike they're going to run at all. And Davity was down in 9th and 11th this weekend. It's been a real bummer for him and that's concerned. And But, you know, like Sykes is good enough to be in the field still. I have no I have no doubts or qualms about that. He's still 4th in this year's championship, um, as it is. Um, and Javi Forres, who, let's not forget, was challenging for wins earlier in the season in places like Aragon. You know, he's had four hey, podiums. at probably set
0: the bar too high, didn't they?
1: Yeah, we, we probably got a little bit too excited about it there at the start of the season he he never really quite got back to those heights especially after Donington and after you know, after the break he's struggled a little bit since then but you know, this was a nice reminder of his quality with that strong podium in race one um again a nice reminder that he can do it you know he's more than capable of doing it he's he's, he's done a very solid job on that team, and it looks like he's going to be losing his seat to Michael Ruben Rinaldi next year, who apparently Ducati is paying for for the seat. So, which is a shame for me because again, we mentioned it before we went on the air that you know, Rinaldi's been okay, but he's I don't think he set the world on fire. And Ferraris results are just better across the mm. board. Uh, I know Ronaldi's only run only ran the European mm. rounds, but that I is, don't that think he's still
0: he a rookie um, in World Series. Mm. Right? But yeah, but yeah, we, we made this point before we started that. Rinaldi, if anything, Rinaldi was more impressive early on this year than he has been as the season's gone on, which you would expect as a rookie to, to be the other way around. If anything, the curve has slightly tailed off a bit uh, in that. I remember back at the opening round, I mean, didn't he, didn't he lead a race earlier in the season? Around, so I think it was either Aragon or Imola when he, he he got the benefit of the reverse grid and started towards the front and actually led the race early on, um, mm-hmm. um, earlier in the season. So he's he, he shown he some flashes, and clearly Ducati as a factory, certainly the superbike side of their factory, believes in him. Um, to, to give him this, this seat. But um, it seems as if Borres is going to be collateral damage through that, and I don't think he necessarily deserves to be, because he's, um, he's a class rider at this level. Um, he's, he's proven it um, over the last couple of years now that he's been with this Barney team. Um, and you know, he has the podiums to back it up, and obviously he had a podium last weekend. He was the best of the rest behind Ray and Sykes, and obviously as a result of that was the top Ducati uh, in race one at Corps uh, last weekend. Uh, here's how the two races finished then. It was Ray uh, Sykes and Forez as you race one podium. Uh, with Lorenzo Savadori, who had the better of Laverty at a prettier all weekend, finished fourth, uh, which equals his world superbike best. Um, Chaz Davies was fifth from a relatively lowly grid spot. Uh, Marco Melandri, Ditto, sixth. Uh, Michael Vandermark, seventh. Toprek Rasgatioglu, eighth. Um, Eugene Laverty, ninth. And Loris Baz, the home favourite. Uh, rounding out the top 10. Uh, in race two, Ray again this time from ninth on the grid, beating Davies by 1.8 seconds with Vandermark in third. Uh, Sykes beat Malandri to fourth with a move on the uh, penultimate lap. Salvadori sixth ahead of Alex Lowe's, uh, who crashed out of race one and finished out in 18th, but recovered to finish seventh in race two. Chavifor is eighth, Camille ninth, and Baz once again rounded out the top 10. Uh, with four races to go, the next of which are in Argentina next weekend, um, at the UL Villicombe circuit, Jonathan Ray leads the championship on 470 points. Uh, with 100 left to play for, he needs uh, 87 or more from the final four races to break his own points record that he set last season. Um, he leads Chaz Davies by 135. Um, Davies himself is uh, 26 clear now, of Vandermark in third. Uh, so he looks like he'll have that runners-up spot unless he makes some sort of error in the final four rounds. Tom Sykes is uh, too far back to uh, make an indent on that top three. It would appear now in fourth. He's on 273, so he trolls van der Mark by 36. Uh, Marco Malandri is fifth on 250. Alex Lowe's sixth on 213. Charlie Forres is seventh on 194. Then come the two are of Lavati and Savadori, with Toprak Raskatioglu completing the championship top ten. Uh, into World Supersport 300 then for the next of the championships to be decided. Now, this one, unlike World Superbikes, we knew was going to be decided come what may last weekend because it was the final round of their season. Um, but what a dramatic weekend we had, Dre. Um, with, with Anna Carrasco going in with a 10-point lead over Scott Drew but um, in keeping with the way the second half of her season has gone, making it as difficult for herself as, uh, as humanly possible um, by Christ, qualifying yeah. down in 25th on the grid. Um, with with to make matters worse, said chief rival Scott DeRue on pole position um, on the Saturday, um, which uh, placed an awful lot of pressure on Ana Carrasco. But I don't think any of us quite expected the drama that was going to follow. I mean, let's try and let's try and approach it in chronological order because Carrasco was trying to make her way through the grid until at around half distance, the first uh, slice of luck, I suppose we have to say, went Carrasco's way uh, and very much went against Scott DeRue who was doing absolutely everything he could do. He put the Kawasaki on pole position. He was in that leading group, looking good. And then the bike breaks down. I mean, with Perez where he was and where Carrasco ended up getting to, it will be probably be over it slightly to say that this cost drew the championship in that he had it won, because he didn't. But he was certainly in a position where he was in play in terms of live running. He was the favorite at that point. And uh, no one deserves oh, yeah. to have a championship stripped from them like that.
1: Oh god, it's a, it's an incredible. I mean, okay, motorsport has bent over backwards Anna Carrasco, and for obvious reasons and for good reasons, which we'll get to. But like, let's not forget that Scott DeRue was incredibly unfortunate to have to have lost it in the fashion that he did. As you said, like I I don't want to go as far as to say that DeRue had it won. But two mechanical retirements in the in the final four races is bitterly unlucky. Uh, as um, I say,
0: in play at the moment that happened, if you were going to pick a rider in play, you'd have said DeRue was the favourite as the race was running.
1: Absolutely, and and DeRu has, has always been you know he's probably been the most consistently solid name in this championship since its inception. He was winning right away. He got used to these to these three hundred cc bikes very quickly. Um, and he was able to, you know, be a solid early name in this series to keep an eye on, and again, he's been in contention both years for the title, and this year, he really wanted to go after it and had a really good chance to win said title. And, um, yeah, he 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 cost himself a real shot at that one really Not, not no if was on his is the mechanical issues of the bike let him down you know, on two occasions in the last four rounds. And uh, like again, like again, you got to have a level of sympathy for him there because that is no, no one really wants to see a title decided that way um and yeah like my my condolences go out to to, to deru on that one because uh that that's an awful way to, to 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 basically have your championship fight ruined um through no fault of your own we, we like seeing these things settled on track and deru and was very unlucky where that's concerned
0: yeah this is one of those races where the uh the value of the live championship graphic on screen was uh was was huge because uh uh, I can actually tell you by virtue of having the uh, having the, the recording of the race on the TV as I'm speaking to you, at the point that DeRue fell out of the race, he wasn't actually leading the championship in play. It was Perez who was. Um, yeah Nico Perez, who was leading the race, was actually in play a point ahead of De Roo, um 97-96, to 96, whereas Carrasco, who by this point had only made it up as far as 20th, uh, was back in third on 90.7 behind, um, uh-huh. which obviously with DeRue dropping out essentially led us to a well, it was still a three-horse race because Luca Grunwald was in the leading group and he was still in a position with Carrasco out of the points where he could have won the title had he got to the front of the group and won the race. Um, mm-hmm. But it ultimately became a two-horse race between um, Perez and Carrasco. Um, and Mick Perez was doing absolutely everything he could. He spent most time of any rider in the lead because he knew he had to either win the race or finish second to have any hope. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. we had this we had these two races in one because we had the uh, the DS Junior team, um, the Damage Salon team that runs Carrasco, were showing the pit boards Carrasco was showing P10 on it, uh, which was basically telling that if Perez wins the race, you need to get up to 10th um, and that will win you the yeah. title. Um, it was an incredible scenario, whereas Perez was leading this race and it's the closest, I think, Dre I've seen in a motorcycle race to Brazil 2008 in Formula 1 where the yeah. race was, the championship was literally decided with a couple of corners to go where Perez... Um, who actually hasn't won a race all season, but has been a very consistent podium contender throughout. Um, Indeed. Went from fourth at the start of the final lap to leading it three corners from home. Um, and I'd imagine he's got to be gutted as well to come so close. Danny Valle passes him three corners from home and wins the race, which ultimately was the move that cost Perez the title um, by one point, because Carrasco got up to 13th in the end. Um, Indeed. And it's one of those where you kind of feel sorry for Perez in that, at no stage through this season was he, you know, he was always the outsider throughout. He missed Bruno through injury. He hadn't won a race up until this weekend and obviously didn't win a race all season in the end. Um, but he suddenly, out of nowhere, found himself with three corners to go where he was in a position where he was going to win it. He was leading the championship in play with three corners to go. And then just with within seconds of thinking he had it, he lost it.
1: You're just sitting
0: there thinking, how much shit had to
1: happen for Carrasco to win this title? Yeah, um, yeah. It, 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 it literally could not have been more Hollywood. It's just something that I thought Michael Bay would write. Um, it's, it's crazy. But no, again, like Perez said, that's the thing. When, when Carrasco had that double victory in the middle of the season, which effectively won her the title, um, that was where it was really won or lost for me. Um, Perez was right there. But yeah, he was in, he was right there in those second groups, fighting for significant points. Um, missing Bruno for injury, and again, some of the carnage that Super Sport three hundred was was happening in that time, where a lot of guys were tripping each other up in qualifying, and yeah, it, it got messy at that point in the championship quite early on. But Perez had found a way to to come back into play, and as you say, with three corners to go, well, he was he was going to win the championship. Um, he had the lead, but then Daddy Vallee... Had come through on on the on the third to last corner, made his move for the win, made it stick through the chicane, and and took the race and basically robbed Perez of his title right at yes. the death. And Carrasco had literally done just enough to win the title by a single point. It doesn't get much more Hollywood since Brazil 2008. Um, on on that one, that the one of the most dramatic series finales. I've ever seen in motorsport that uh, it, it came down to Carrasco fighting from the back, essentially, and Perez doing everything he could up the front to, to steal that from third, and he was 18 points off. Going, in. It was a long shot for Perez to win the title, and he very nearly pulled it off.
0: Yeah, he had three podiums in the final three races, three second places in each of the last three races at Bizano, Portimao, Magny Um, He was uh, on the podium at Aragon, he was on pole actually for the first two races of the season was Perez um, and Aragon and Assen. Assen, he was one of the many riders who got taken out in that crazy um, Assen race that we saw, which was decided on that final lap with several riders falling off um, on that last lap. Um, It has been quite the season in World Supersport 300. Of eight races, we've had seven different winners. Um, incredibly Anna Carrasco obviously the only rider to win more than once she won the back-to-back races at Imola and Donington Park but as we've gone through the season we had the Dutchman Kun Moffels um, on the KTM that won the opening race uh, at Aragon uh, Grunwald then won the second race in Assen we then had the back-to-back wins of uh, Imola and Donington for Carrasco the Indonesian Galang Hendra then won uh, at Bruneau uh, the wildcard Italian Manuel Bastianelli won at Mizano Portimao, of course, was the first winner of the season for De Roo. And then Danny Valle, who was uh, a competitive rider right throughout last season, took his first ever win uh, in the Supersport 300 class uh, at the final round of the season at Magny Corps. But through it all, Dre came Anna Carrasco to to win the championship. And um, as many have said since, you you, you cannot fluke it. Even if it is a, a championship in this class that only runs over eight races, you cannot fluke a world championship over this distance. You know, you, the, no. the rider with the most points over that distance is the deserved champion. Um, And we shouldn't forget with Carrasco that around that mid-season point at Bruneau where, you know, Dorner and the FIM were bending over backwards to try and equalize the field as much as possible. Anna Carrasco and her Kawasaki had 14 kilos added um, to their ride and bike combined weight limit that they had to um, basically increase the weight of their machine by, which is a not insignificant uh, you know weight to add to anyone's motorcycle that's you know just over five percent weight added to their bike that's Uh, crazy which which is crazy and Carrasco obviously hasn't really been the same since but when you put it in those terms with those numbers you can kind of understand why she hasn't been the same since and why she's been struggling um to overtake people particularly in those big groups she's been struggling to carve her way through Mm. over the course of the season dre it's Carrasco that's won it and we just need to go back to those dominant victories of of Imola and Donington, in particular Imola, where she won by over 13 seconds. No rider over this level of, against this level of competition over this course of distance can fluke a championship. And Anna Carrasco is the deserving world champion.
1: Completely agreed. It was like, Imola was, savage beat them downs i've ever seen um in bike racing where everybody else was tripping over each other and you know making silly mistakes stuff we see in moto free blocking on track and you know the the desperation to get a clear run caresco just ran laps and completely dominated and no one had an answer for her she broke free from the leading group in ml and didn't look back and it was the second victory, um, winning back to back in Immler and Donington, that won the title for me. Um, that was where it was won or lost. That was having those big results in a season that, as you say, only had one repeat winner. Everybody else was, every other race was won by different riders, and no one else was able to really, no one else was really able to gain a foothold in this championship except the Carrasco. Carrasco got out lead to defend. Yeah, exactly. He gave her that twenty-point lead, and it was up to everybody else to chase to chase her down. And everybody tripped up over each other at some point, and that essentially gave Carrasco the clear run to just do enough to win the title in the end. But um, for me, that like the middle part of the season in Imola and Donington, where Carrasco won both races in dominant fashion, that was for me was where it was won and lost.
0: And we cannot uh, overstate how bigger moment this is for for motorsport for motorcycle racing for for women's motorsport um to see Anna Carrasco it has much like her victory at Portimao last year it's made mainstream news um for for the first ever female solo motorcycle racing champion um in history and you know I think everyone's everyone's delighted for Anna Carrasco she's you know she's shown over the last number of years that she is a world-class motorcycle racer at at the level that she races at. She's finished in the top 10 of Moto3 races before, uh, and we know how strong a class that is. Um, She, of course, was a race winner, as we mentioned, last year in Portimao, and she's she's been the, the deserving champion this year. And uh, the just the message uh obviously on the shirt that she's uh, she wore after winning the title and she's now uh, it's now available uh, on the World Superbike official shop to uh, to buy online. I'm sure there'll be there'll be many girls around the world, Dre that will be buying that top um with the great message ride like a girl on it. And it's it it's a very entertaining um slogan and message to put on the bike, but it's also a very powerful one. Um mm. because Anna Carrasco is now for for motorcycle racing fans, motorsport fans sports fans just just girls around the world they are now going to see anna carrasco as a as a inspiration for them as they go forward in their own lives aren't they
1: yeah this is
0: i cannot this is a girl who went into a man's world and won a world championship
1: yeah for, for, for lack of a better term that is absolutely spot on this This is significant. This is important, and it is important that we never beat around the bush and play this down. This is a man's sport, and as far as I'm concerned, for the foreseeable future, it will be a man's sport. However, like that doesn't make like if anything, that makes Antico's achievements all the more significant, and it is so important that you know that women have. You know, women, young girls, people, you know, women that want to get into motorsport, which is hard to do on the grassroots level. Um, if it can have any sort of figure or beacon that can light the way to inspire the next generation of bike riders and having a couple more girls try and take part in the next five to 10 years, hopefully we'll see more women like Anna Carrasco, like Maria Herrera. That are, you know, that are giving this a go and are trying to make it a career path for them as as they mature into young women. Um, Anna Carrasco is an incredible role model for for that space, for you know, that world. And like it again, it says a lot when BBC Sport, The Guardian, the New York Times are, you know, are writing pieces about her as a groundbreaking world champion. And They all know it. We all know it. It's a man's world. It's a man's sport. And for Carrasco as a woman to come into that championship and become the first individual women's world champion in the history of world championship bike racing is so important. And we cannot, we should not and we cannot underplay this achievement enough. She has done an incredible job and hopefully she'll continue to be a brilliant role model for young girls and for women in the future, because she's done an incredible job to win this title. And we all know that she's fighting disadvantages, being a woman and whatnot. And again, having, uh, having to add 14 kilos to the bike mid season was an absolute, you know, a, a kick to the gut where that's concerned, where you're adding over two stone of ballast to the bike to make the minimum weight limit. Um, but she overcame that, and she did just enough to win the title, and that is an incredible achievement. So, well done to her, and you know, riding like a girl. If, if that if that can resonate, then that is fantastic.
0: Mm, because uh, you'd imagine that you know there, there are going to be girls everywhere that will go to school, and they'll be they'll be said, "Oh, you're you know don't, like don't throw like a girl." I still hear that phrase used, and you know, any time yeah. someone says something like that to a to a girl at school, she could just turn around and say to that person, "Well, have you heard of Anna Carrasco uh, and look, look, look at yeah. what she's done. Um, and that's, that's as important, I think, as anything. And uh, yeah, there was one final message. Uh, obviously, a lot of people in motorsport and interested in sport in general were, were reacting to this during the week. And I'll read you this one tweet. It said, Congratulations, Anna Carrasco, I'm making history. Thank you for showing the whole world that motorcycle racing isn't just a man's sport. A great example for everyone. Uh, those are the words of Mark Marquez. Uh, the result that's- then from, from last weekend it was a, a first win, as we mentioned. Um, in the Sport 300 class for Danny Valle, um, who took the victory by you know, mere meters from uh, the, the unfortunate Mika Perez, um, who finished in second. Uh, as I mentioned, it was his third consecutive second place finish, but it wasn't enough in the end. Um, to win him the title. Manuel Gonzalez, he finished third for the third consecutive race um, to to round out the podium. Maria Herrera, the aforementioned, actually led the race on the final two lap, dropped to fourth in the end, but that's her best result of the season. Uh, Luca Bernardi, fifth. Luca Grunwald, who, of course, had a shot at the title going to that final round. He could only manage sixth. Nikita Kalinin seventh. Glenn van Straal eighth. He's going to be riding Anthony West's bike in World Super Sport next weekend, by the way, as Ant West continues to uh, sit things out with a doping charge hanging over his head. Uh, Enzo de la Vega, ninth, uh, and Dorin Lerrero, teammate to Anna Carrasco, um, in tenth. Carrasco, as I mentioned, finished thirteenth uh, to win the title. And one final point, actually, to make on that, and it's again, it's another tribute to Anna Carrasco, was you, you may have noticed, as I mentioned, the team she rides for is the David Salom Jr. team. And Anna Carrasco was very, very quick to dedicate her championship victory to the late Louis Salom um, she won the title in the end by one point um, from Mika Perez um, very very close in the end closer than I think she imagined 93 to 92 Scott Daru De probably deserved better than third on 80 points uh, Luca Grunval fourth on 78 Doran Larrero finishes the year fifth on 66 ahead of Manuel Gonzalez sixth on 59 uh, he ended the year as the top Yamaha rider in the series ahead of Borja Sanchez seventh Valle leapt to eighth in the end ahead of Van Straalen and Hendra Uh, with the uh, winner of the first round, Cone Muffles, who uh, ended up losing his ride mid-season. He ends the year in 11th. Um, And quickly, before we move on to BSB action from Aston last weekend, there was one other title wrapped up last weekend as the curtain came down on the European Superstop 1000 Championship. Uh, That class has closed down now um, as of the end of this season. And uh, the final champion was Marcus Reiterberger. It wasn't really a great surprise to any of us, Dre. Um, Not just Mm -hmm. the way this season's gone, but given how much of a lead he carried in that final round um it's clear the way that season's gone on that there was only one uh deserving champion in the end and it was marcus reiterberger he has been a class above as the season's gone on um and it looks like uh he's gonna take that title and uh take it back into the world superbike class next season the place where he pretty much i think we're all agreed he belongs
1: yeah definitely i hope he's i sincerely hope he's back on the world superbike pack for next year. he's a talented rider he he, again he for BMW on quite a few occasions um, with the Altea team he was doing really good work and um, yeah just lost his seat after after taking an injury to his back last year had to had to pull out of the sport for a whole year but he's got his head down he's bounced back and he's and he's won the last ever European Super Sport 1000 title and um And, yeah, he's done a fantastic job all season long. We've been consistent, had, you know, multiple race wins. Looked like the guy that we thought he was a couple of years ago. And hopefully someone in the World Team Bar will give him another chance again because he's a very, very talented kid. Still only 24 years old as well. Um So a, a lot more to come, I think, from Marcus
0: Reiterberger, for sure. Yeah, he finished third last weekend at Magny-Cours, which was more than he needed. He only needed to finish in the top nine in the end to win the championship, uh, which he did comfortably. Federico Sandi. Um, took his first win and of course his final win final win of anybody in Superstock 1000 um, on the motor of Ducati he uh, beat Roberto Tamburini who was the uh, closest championship challenger to Reiterberger going into that final round um, he finished second with Reiterberger following his championship rival home in third which was more than he needed to do um, to win the title Reiterberger ends up as the final Superstock 1000 uh, European champion it's not a world championship given they don't go to all the rounds but Reiterberger won it in the end by 14 points um, over the Italian Tamburini with Maximilian Schieb, who crashed out of that final race um, at Magni cours Ends the year in third. That's all the older championships that were decided last weekend, but of course there is one of the class. It's the uh, the batshit crazy world super sport class, which uh, was tamed by its own standards last weekend at Magni Um, But it wasn't um, without its incident drain. Of course, it had a key role in the outright world championship last weekend. Um a key win for Jules Cluzel, keeping the pressure on, on Sandro Cortese, um, even though Cortese kind of did what he had to do by finishing second. But the championship has taken even further shape now, and that it is now clearly a two-horse race, not just with Cluzel closing the gap, but also a rather ill-timed final lap crash for Federico Caracusulo just when he was clawing himself into contention.
1: Yeah, real shame. For Caracusulo was, like, was the hot hand. He would won the last two. He was on track for a, a potential podium there to keep his title hopes alive on that one. And then, well, Mahias, it's, it's an aggressive overtake from Mahias into the third-to-last corner, but nothing wrong with it. It was a hard but fair pass. And Caracasulo, basically, I think, having not seen it coming until the last second, has over leaned it and gone down, lost the front, and that really is... The final nail in the coffin for Caracasulos title chances, at least from Ramsin. He's now 37 points behind with just 50 left on the table. Um, it's looking now very much like a two-horse race um, where that's concerned. Um, Clazell taking a critical home victory there. Um he, it's still out of Clazel's hands, amazingly, given that he's got another, he's 11 points behind Cortesi. Cortese just has to follow Clazel through, even if he wins the last two races and cortesi's champion by a point um the fact that cortesi the consistency's won it for him here so far he's not finished outside of the top six all season long um and the thing is as well like to mention dimension cortesi you mentioned this in the post-race um, press conference he's never raced at magni call before
0: yeah.
1: um this was this was a first time weekend for him and he said himself that this was going to be a struggle this weekend. He's, he's, he felt like a fish out of water, given that I you think know Cazal won had, there three times already. Yeah, Cazal won there three times before. Mahias had, had raced there, had good results even as a Super Sport wildcard in the past as well highest had ran strong around here so he was completely inexperienced compared to a lot of other guys in the field there's there's this direct rival in Clazelle, so his thought was just take what you can basically and to get second is a very good result all things considered and a one that could be significant for his title and to keep that keep it in your own destiny advantage going into Argentina in a a week's time Um, so yeah an excellent weekend from Clazelle and an excellent bit of damage limitation from Cortese to bring home second.
0: Mm, Yeah, the result then Cluzel the winner um, from Cortese, Uh, Lucas Mayas uh, a nice return to the podium for him after of course the uh, the rather heartbreaking scenario in which he lost the victory at Portimao, it's his first podium since the second race of the year in Thailand would you believe, um, for the defending champion Um, although his defence of the title now looks like it is all about at an end Um, it was a good weekend for the NRT team uh, with Thomas Gradinger, the Austrian taking his best result of the season in fourth, so a 1-4 uh, for that team. He beat Randy Krimenaka, um into fifth. Krimenaka's championship hopes now look like they are virtually over as well. Um, good result for the wildcard. Quarantine Perolari, uh, the uh, Frenchman for the Yamaha GMT 94 team, finished in sixth, ahead of Rafael De Rosa, whose sixth-race podium streak um, was brought to an end last weekend. Kyle Smith in eighth. Hikari Kubo ninth, just ahead of his new teammate, Hector Barbera, who had his first top-ten finish. Um, of the season in World Supersport. Hannes Soma was 11th ahead of Ayrton Badovini. Federico Caracasilla remounted to finish 13th on that final lap ahead of Peter Sebastian and Luke Stapleford, who took the final point. Um, but there's one other congratulations necessary, and that is to the Dutchman, Rob Hartog. He's the rider you will probably noticed on those bright lime green high-vis leathers. Um, he oh, had it. celebrations um, last weekend because he clinched the European Supersport Cup. Uh, which is the class within a class that goes to the European rounds only. Um, He clinched that championship with last weekend, of course, being the final European round of the season. So congratulations to him. Uh, Next round of the championship for the super sport class, and that's the uh, super sport class excluding the European runners, uh, and, of course, the World Superbike Championship, is next weekend with the Argentine round at El Villacom, the brand-new circuit uh, in San Juan. That is next weekend. Next weekend also sees the uh, triple-header finale of the British Superbike Championship, and uh, let's talk about the uh, round that preceded it, the round that has set the se- set the scene really and set the table for that finale at Brands. The whole point of the showdown format really is to try and ensure we go to Brands with a very very close championship on our hands. Um, this season it kind of hasn't achieved that, um, largely down to the dominance and the brilliance of Leon Haslam right throughout the season, and. Uh, in the end, Dre, he's essentially, to all intents and purposes, wrapped up the title with his double last weekend uh, and Assam. Awesome. But we kind of have to split the weekend and the races into two parts um, with Haslam because the two races are very, very different. We'll start with race one um, and a great, great battle in the end that went all the way down to the wire between Haslam and Dixon. Dixon, who had been doing all he could, he'd put his Kawasaki on pole position once again uh, on the Saturday, beating Tara McKenzie by, I think, 4,000th of a second in the end to, to take the pole position. And they're pushing <clears throat> Haslam all the way. And it it was a race, I think, on that on that Saturday, or sorry, on the Sunday, the early early race on the Sunday, which kind of encapsulated why these two are quite clearly the two best riders in this championship.
1: It definitely did. I mean the early running of race one was the complicated tale of the Taron and the Hare. Um yeah, where Taron was his tyre. Yeah, and his it, soft tire took the whole shot and tried to take off and Had a good second and a half in hand, but he was reeled in in the second half. He basically ran out of grip um, in the end, as as sad as that was. And, you know, Taron ended up fading to third in the end, about a second and a half off the win. But it it was Haslam, once again, that that played the patient game, took his chances when they came, took the lead with, with two laps to go, and jake dixon who struggled to, to get past Tarron for an extra lap that was what effectively cost him a chance at the victory by the time he cleared Taran out of the way uh has had half a second in hand and it was enough to win the race by just under a tenth of a second um a, a, a dramatic race um tactically both guys in the front were spots on Taran tried to basically tried to roll the dice it didn't quite work out but he still got a very nice podium for it rode very well to his credit but It is Haslam and Dixon um, that that are the two flying flags in this championship. They are the two best guys in this series at the moment. And Haslam, once again, um, just finds a way to outsmart the field. And and again, he he just did what he had to do to get the win. And um, yeah, just another excellent performance. Yeah, into race two. And
0: race two, particularly the early laps of it, kind of just... Goes to do they went to show that even in a dominant championship season that them superior to have, when you have a showdown format as we do in BSB, all it takes is one instant and that can completely change things. And it very nearly did for Haslam, who um, mm. was ran into the back of early in that second race, um, by uh, I believe it was Glenn Irwin who, who ran into the back of it, and of course, that caused a chain reaction further back, mm. um, which brought down Dan Limfoot and um. I'm sure you've possibly seen the photos. If not, um, if you're that way inclined and you want to see them, you could no doubt Google them or search for them on Twitter. But there are images in MCN, in MCN this week of, of Dan Limford essentially being run over by Glenn Irwin, who, and to be fair, did a very good job anyway to um, slow down like he did. But also when we had the second incident later on of Tara McKenzie going down, Glenn Irwin was essentially sacrificing his own race um, by sitting up, turning around and waving at everyone else to get out of the way and miss it um which yeah an incredible uh, piece of um sort of presence of mind from erwin but it was a messy start wasn't it dre to that first race and uh how we got through that first uh, four or five laps of race two at Assen with uh you know 24 complete bsb riders i'm not quite so sure um
1: i'm still trying to figure that one out myself um yeah for, for um for lack of um, a quick a quick explanation um Glenn Owen taps, like, like, like 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 Linford taps the back of Leon Haslam's bike on the final chicane. Linford goes down, and trying to get out, like, obviously, because of the chain reaction, there was still, uh, you know, early on in the race, there were still a lot of bikes around him. Like, essentially, Linford gets run over by, um, by, by I think it was Tommy Bridewell um who who's hit him. But like Brewell has to, has to abandon ship and then both bikes end up flying across the other side of the track horizontally. Um Linford's Honda's on fire. Um, you know, Linford himself is rolling around in the ground in pain, being stretched off. Um Bridewell thankfully okay as well. Luckily again Linford only 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 bruises, thankfully nothing significant to was God damn it, the man cannot catch a, a clean bit of luck these days and uh yeah, just uh, just an awful accident Then when that pulled out the safety car cuz one of the bikes was on fire and another guy and obviously limp needed medical treatment. Um, once the safety car pulls in on the restart, Taron McKenzie has an enormous high side. Um he flies off the bike at the final at the final exact same spot, final corner. Um has a massive high side and then he is sliding around on the ground in the trying the to in the middle of the racetrack, trying to get up for some bizarre reasons, unbeknownst to me. Trying to basically stand back up again as as the field is running past him and he very nearly gets run over himself. Um, Glenn Irwin has to tell the other riders to get out of the way, and 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 yeah, he very nearly gets run over himself. Like Taron, it was like a it was like a some sort of Looney Tune sketch where yeah, was, he's was just got out of the way. Who,
0: who goes past yeah. him and Taron McKenzie said after the race with a, with a bright beaming smile on his face which was which shows us how mad he is I suppose um, yes and the, the mind of a motorcycle racer he said he felt the brush of Dean Harrison going past him on his arm um, which which shows how close it was um, he, he, but it was almost like the sort of the draft of a, of a hundred ninety mile an hour motorcycle going past him that almost caused him to sort of fall out of the way a little bit um, right it was a scary scary incident um, but Taz McKenzie. It uh, was thankfully okay um We'll, we'll talk more about Taz in a minute, Dre, but the race continued beyond that. Um, there were questions asked after the race, of course, of the very late decision that um, Stuart Higgs and BSB race direction made to pull the safety car in with basically a corner's notice, um, which led to a lot of riders starting the restart on cold tyres, and it was essentially Taz... Well, like that consistent. was silly. And it was Taz McKenzie essentially trying to catch up to the back of the pack that caused him to high side out of the final chicane. He said, I was too far back, but he said, I thought I'll make up the difference out of the final chicane. And obviously when he did that, he put the power down and, and high sided. So, uh, so, yeah, there were yeah. questions to be asked about that at the end of the race. But, but what we got was a, a five man leading group that were the other side of that split because McKenzie's high side caused a split in the field. Um, Haslam and Dixon were the right side of that split and looked like they were going to be involved in the fight for the win again when what became essentially the moment where i don't think it will eventually decide um or will change the eventual winner of the championships i think Haslam was probably going to have it in hand anyway but it was certainly the moment where dixon lost it or lost any hope of going to brands with a shot at the title right a mechanical problem on his raf regular and reserves kawasaki and much like scott DeRue in world super sport 300 um it's a moot point and it's 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 open to your own sort of interpretation whether you think he would have been able to win the championship anyway uh, at the end of all of that but it's certainly no way to lose a title especially for Dixon who as we know is moving out of this paddock next year
1: indeed I mean it was still gonna be a, it was always gonna be a for Dixon to chase this gap down but he had given himself just a sliver of a chance um, you know by by being able to win both races at Alton Park and yeah, it was a mechanical breakdown that effectively ended Dixon's race and championship. Sadly, um, it's a real shame because Dixon has ridden so well this season. Um, you know, he's been so consistent. He's been in—I mean, on the podium like uh, as, a, as a consistent fawn in, in Haslam's side all season long. Um, this was a this was a year where Dixon proved he can run well at more than just one track. Um, he had three wins, he had several podiums to his name this season and, it's a shame because he's getting out of here now as well as going to Moto Two with the Nieto team next year and you know, a factory KTM package. It's a, it's a hell of an opportunity for Jake, and um, I wish him very, I wish him all the best in that championship because he's a he's a very talented rider and he's only going to get better. Um, but yeah, a real shame that again, know no. Again, we mentioned it earlier with Derou. No one wants to see a championship wrapped up like this. And while it's not over, and while I don't think it would have, it would have, you know, overall. Um, you know, had an, a major impact on said title race. It seemed like it was the final nail in the coffin for Dixon. I mean, Haslam now only needs a, a, a podium finish or fifteen points across the last three races at Brands Hatch to cement his first major championship. Um, let's be real here: Haslam's deserved it in every in every shape or form. No matter which format you want to slice it up with, Haslam is the deserving champion. than he always should be. But Dixon's been phenomenal too, and it's 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 just been a shame that uh, it's it's effectively ended like that.
0: Mm. Yeah, it is a shame. For Dixon, who's uh, as Jay mentioned, once the showdown started, Dixon has done absolutely all he could have done, um, short of beating Haslam to the post in that final uh, lap of race one. Um, you know, he's been near faultless um, in the showdown so far, and he's he's ne- oh, legitimately given himself and a lot of us hope that the championship could go down to the wire at Brands. Uh, when really I had no right to go that far um, so, so Dixon's Got nothing to be ashamed of and he is still I mean he's, he's only 20, 22 and as, as Jay Dixon quite Eloquently put it, he said, Leon has got 22 years experience, that's longer than I've been alive um, <laughs> which, uh, which shows you the difference in the two Protagonists um, in BSB uh, This season um, But Haslam, as you Said Dre, no one can argue he hasn't deserved it And he did go on um, to win that second race ahead of Josh Brooks um, who ran again much like Dixie Race 1 ran Leon Haslam as close as, as he could in that second race but again Haslam just a class above everyone else and he now goes to Brands Hatch with with that 61 point lead he said um, that he wants to sign off with a win at Brands Hatch GP the one circuit on the current BSB calendar that he hasn't won on um, in his career um, and of course he's had his fair share of bad luck at this circuit over the years but the lead is so great now that he can almost go to Brantach and enjoy the weekend, can't he? The pressure's off him.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a half-decent chance he wins it on Saturday um, in race one. I and mean, it's race one on Saturday and then races two and three on the Sunday um, on, on the final day of the championship. There's a good chance Haslam you know, wraps it up on he wraps it up on the Saturday. He fished third in both races earlier on in the regular season, so it's more than impossible that Hazlund can do it again here. He's gonna he's gonna have some challenges here because I mean he's not he's never been the strongest round brands. We've mentioned this multiple times. It's Josh Brooks land, really. Brooks goes very strong round here. Taron McKenzie is has been excellent the second half of the season. I think he'll challenge for podiums again, like he did in the regular season as well. Ellison could go well here, um, you know, and other guys will be, will, will, will no doubt be in the mix. Haslam's never gone well around here. To go well around here, he can just not take any risks. If he, if he if he wants to try and win it on Saturday night, then by all means try. But he he'll he'll have no, I have no doubt he'll wrap it up. Yeah, um, it's, on, on, on my Sunday morning at the, at, at the latest.
0: Yeah, it's looking that way. Has um taking race one in the end last weekend from, from Dixon and Tara McKenzie in third. As, as Dre mentioned, McKenzie was kind of the hair uh, whilst the green tortoises on the Kawasaki's chased him down um, in that first race. Um, he had that accident, Dre, in race two, uh, the high side coming out of the final chicane, um, which cost him any hope of another podium. But in many ways, he has been one of the stories of the second half of this British Superbike season. Uh, as McKenzie because um, we, we we need to remember that he is a uh, rookie in the same way that Bradley Ray is who impressed us so much at the start of the season and I mean I don't know the points as they are because of course the points have been reset in the case of Bradley Ray but I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if had the points system just m- maintained all the way throughout the season that I don't think Tyron McKenzie would be too far away from Bradley Ray in the championship right about now um, had they continued along their normal paths and Bradley Ray hadn't had his score reset to 500 um, and, mm. as I say, he's been one of the stories of the second half of this season. He's been genuinely better than Josh Brooks, who's seen as one of the standard bearers in this class um, at the moment in the last few rounds. And when we're looking at the next season, where British Superbikes is going to look rather different, as we'll tell you in a moment, has Tara McKenzie got a genuine case to make that he could be, dare I say it, a title threat next year?
1: If he keeps this up, sure, why not? Like... His, he has race winning level pace now, and I don't know where it's suddenly come from. But the second half of the season, he's exploded um, to the point where you're thinking he has the pace where he could be thinking about a showdown spot at the minimum next season. Taron McKenzie has been flying the last five, the last two or three weekends now, um, challenging for wins, getting on the podium, getting well in the mix. And this kid's only 21 years old. This is a guy that was getting rinsed in Moto2 last year, thinking, oh, this is a bad step for him. It's not worked out. But he's gone to you know, BSB proper, um, which, he, which he probably should have done right from the get-go. And he's, he's taken a year to adapt to the class. And now he is running side-by-side, side, if not a little bit stronger right now. And Josh Brooks, who, who is a former champion and... You know, very nearly won the title last year. We forget he was only three points away from winning it last season, right under the nose of Shaky and Haslam. Um, Brooks is a perennial title contender, former world champion, and Sarah McKenzie giving him every everything he's got right now. So, yeah, the way it is right now, like why not Tara McKenzie in a title threat, depending on the uncertainty of the field, knowing that there won't be Haslam, there won't be Dixon, shaky's future's up in the air, Glen Owen's going to be on a new bike, not sure how good he's going to fare um, with the Bournemouth Kawasaki team. So it, there's a lot of uncertainty in BSB going forward. And for me, there's no reason, um, there's no reason why Tara McKenzie can't be involved in that title picture.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He's, he has been one of the, uh, the growing forces um, as this season. Um, has gone on. Um, let's give you the two results then from last weekend. Uh, Haslam won race one from Dixon and Mackenzie with Hickman, Peter Hickman in fourth um, on the BMW ahead of Glenn Irwin and Tommy Bridewell who continues to have a uh, sort of Indian summer in this season um, as he improves late on. Um, he was sick ahead of Halloran, Eden, Brooks and Ellison um, completing the top 10. Uh, race 2, saw so Haslam beat Brooks to the line this time by just a tenth of a second uh, with Pete Aikman third, Irwin fourth, Richard Cooper fifth ahead of Andy Irwin sixth and Bradley Ray seventh. So the uh, two um, Bennett's uh, Suzuki's and the two BYU's and Ducati's finishing a line astern. Uh, James Ellison eighth, Danny Buchan ninth. Um, that's his best result for a while. Um, and Christian Aidan completed the top 10. Championship standings then, um, there are just two riders left mathematically in this championship right now, but in all probability, it's just one. Leon Haslam on 654 points leads Jake Dixon now by 61 points. There are only 75 left on the table. Um, Dixon will probably finish second now with uh, Josh Brooks some 36 points behind him in third. Uh, Glenn Irwin is just three points behind Brooks in fourth. Peter Hickman is only five behind Irwin in fifth. And Bradley Ray, unfortunately, looks rooted to sixth. His uh, showdown has not got off the ground at all. He is very much sick overall. Um, Jason Halloran leads the race for the Riders' Cup, although there are really as many as um, five riders with a genuine shot at winning the uh, Riders' Cup next weekend. Um, if you want it mathematically, there are as many as uh, 11 riders mathematically who could win the Riders' Cup next weekend, uh, with Andy Irwin still mathematically in contention. But realistically, um, it's Halloran on 1-5-2, ahead of McKenzie, um, who's next up. Christian Iden is four points behind McKenzie. Buchan is a further three behind Iden. Bridewell is a further two behind Buchan. It's looking like it's between those five riders with 14 points covering them going into the final three races next weekend around the Grand Prix circuit at Brands. Um, And there's quite a lot of it to get through before we wrap this show up in the around the half hour that we have uh, to go. Um, And it's staying with BSB, um, first of all, because the calendar has been announced for 2019. Um, uh, And we're going to tell you in a moment some of the uh, high-profile names that are likely to be riding in this this new calendar. But um, it's for the first time in a few years, Dre, the uh, BSB calendar has been given something of a shake-up for next season with... uh, Some circuits either you know, losing a round or gaining a round or changing layouts for next season. Um, I'll run through the calendar first of all. Here's what it looks like. The season starts um, on the 19th to the 21st of April uh, 2019 at Silverstone this time around the national layout. So they're sticking with the national layout that they ran on more of necessity this season. I suppose with no guarantee that the circuit's going to have been relayed by then. They kind of had to make this call. Uh, just in case it's wet again in April of next year. Um, but that's where we're going to start next year. Then Autumn Park on bank holiday Monday at the beginning of May uh, for two races there. Donington Park has its first of two rounds on their May the 25th to 26th next year on its national circuit. Um, those who watch British Touring Cars will know this layout. Those that don't, they essentially, rather than going left at the foggy S's, they turn right to go through the chicane onto the home straight again. Um, at Donington Park Uh, Brands Hatch for its first of two rounds next year around the GP circuit both on the Grand Prix layout uh, in the middle of June Uh, then it's Knockhill at the end of June Snetterton in the middle of July Thruxton at the beginning of August Cadwell Park middle of August the final regular season round is a triple header at Alton Park in the first weekend of September and then the showdown rounds are at Assen September 22nd Donington Park's Grand Prix circuit October the 8th October the 6th, excuse me. And then the final round, as ever, is the triple header on the Grand Prix circuit at Brands, uh, October the 18th to the 20th next season, Dre. Um, Two big Mm. headlines from that, um, which kind of interlinked with each other. Um, First of all, no Brands Indy on the calendar anymore next year. And uh, whilst it's produced some decent racing over the the many years it's been on the calendar, I don't think many people are going to be too gutted to see the back of it
1: no i mean let's be frank it was a glorified oval in the grant in the context of, of bsb and ovals don't sound so appealing on bikes as opposed to cars it's um a bitch to overtake on exactly it doesn't its layout didn't produce for great racing unless it rained um and counting on rain to spice a race up is always a risky business um so for me i think it was too small it was too tight and it was too slow a track to really promote good racing um no so for me i i'm 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 okay with losing Silverstone national has enough long straights and enough enough speed in it to work as a layout (laughs) yeah like we we panned it like you know, we we panned it going in before. Oh no, this could be a bit rough. But hey, it's better than no bike racing at all. On the contrary, it turned out to be one of the better weekends of the year for action. It was close. It was tight. We had good overtakes. We had good tactical play from a lot of the riders involved. So no, I can't really complain. Like, so was the national. It worked. Um, you know, probably a little bit more than the Grand Prix layout does, which is crazy to say the least
0: so having that as a season opener might actually be a really solid play hmm. yeah that's uh that's in april next year uh, around easter time um they they're not of that the Brands Indy round as i mentioned has been replaced by an extra Donington round um and, and i've kind of wondered over pre- previous years why bsb haven't done more of this where if they're going to run the same circuit on the calendar two or three times at least mix the layout up a bit um, because, I mean, they could, for instance, run a couple of layouts at Alton Park if they wanted to. Um, but they, they run the same one for both rounds. Um, but the two Donington rounds, one's going to take place on the Grand Prix layout, which uh, sees them go left at the Foggy S's um, and then down to the Melbourne Looper, and then up to Goddard's again. The national layout, which, as I mentioned, is familiar if you watch your British touring cars, they go under the Dunlop Bridge and then go through the right-left chicane onto the home straight again. Um, which in many ways, I think has a better flow to it. The, the Melbourne loop section was kind of brought in to bring it up to the required length for a Grand Prix to take place around there. Um, Definitely. And yeah, you, you kind of wonder, Dre, looking at looking at this layout where there's every reason why this will produce good overtaking and good racing too.
1: Yeah, you, you, you know, you've got, you've got a lot more potential here um for solid racing again heavy braking zones You've, you always know the downhill like the crane of curves is always good it's it's just a better free-flowing track for overtaking and for passing and the like um it works and you you will almost definitely get a dramatic ending um with most likely a last minute dive bomb or something into the final chicane um you know so i i think that also works i mean the only reason they ran the elbow Part really more than anything else is to basically make sure it's grand prix standard but i think the national layout might actually work a little bit better in the long run here if, if bsb is leaning more towards short sharp tracks with with enough places to overtake but still keeping the races relatively brief at like half an hour length or so this works hmm, so I, I, uh, I like then, the direction they're
0: going with that and johnson on the uh on the discord chat says that that final chicago on the national layout is great for passing and uh I mean, I still have um, memories of uh, some British touring car races in the past. I remember a race when Jason Plato was involved, where there was an absolute, uh, you know, a pile of cars in that wall on the exit of that final chicane when they all ran into each other at that mm. chicane. Uh, it does tend to produce incidents. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to miss Absolutely. um I mean, well, we are still going to have a round around the uh, Grand Prix later next season. But um, that, that final sector with the, uh, the Melbourne loop, that just leads itself to dive bombs, doesn't it? Um, and then Goddard's is a bit of an off-camber. It's a, it's a horrible sort of corner to end the lap on. So, uh, so yeah, I think this layout may well work better for the bikes, um, just as it does for the touring cars. So we'll see how that goes next season. Um, just to mark the uh, dates for your diary, if you're planning to go to either of them, uh, the Donington Park National uh, round is May 24th, 25th, 26th. The Donington Park Grand Prix round is the middle of the three showdown rounds um, on the first weekend of October um, next season. Uh, now the uh, grid makeup for next season's British Fight Championship has become an awful lot clearer this week, uh, with some rider signings being made. Um, the biggest of them, of course, came uh, just a couple of days ago, and it's one that's been kind of mooted for a few weeks now, arguably a couple of months now. Um, mm. That BYZ Ducati, the Paul Bird team, have signed Scott Redding um, to front their team on the new V4 Panigale in BSB um, next season. Um, now. Scott Redding had initially when this uh, was first suggested as a rumour back when he lost his a prettier ride earlier in the year. He was kind of a little bit, dis- bit dismissive of it, of-, of BSP as an option. But um, I have to say, Dre, I mean, we can only take him at face value in what we've seen from him in-, in the media and on social media. It seems as if he has kind of summoned up the enthusiasm for it since then. Um, and for, it has to be said, for the British Superbike Championship, I think this is a great pull, a great name to pull into the series. A rider who is... Coming from MotoGP to BSB, uh, a Grand Prix winner, a Moto2 Championship runner-up, uh, a clear world-class talent that's coming over to the British Championship. And I think at the stage of his career that Scott, Dick, uh, that Scott Reading is in, something of a crossroads, I think this might be just the change he needs.
1: Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you there. Um this is significant in in that, in, uh, you know, Redding is still only twenty five years old. He still has plenty of time left in his biking career. And yeah, he's at a crossroads. He was a ridiculously talented early bloomer. Um still in the youngest one-
0: ever Grand Prix winner.
1: Yeah, and like he, he was a ridiculously young early bloomer in Grand Motorcycle Racing. He very nearly won the Moto2 title in 2013 when he was still 19 years old um like he very he was very unlucky to miss out on that I mean, we forget just how talented redding was before his moto gp career and even the first year of his moto gp career I and mean, he was in a production honda he was excellent that first season he was rookie of the year and one of the real you know surprises of that calendar year this is still um, a
0: rider who had moto gp podiums on the mark vds honda and on that Pramac Ducati.
1: He's a very talented rider. There is no doubt about that. The talent is there, and in flashes, he's, he's had real brilliance. Um, losing out to Petrucci in the fight for the GPA team, I think, was what ultimately did him in. Um, he was never given the best opportunities, but when the Pramac seat came along, he, he took it, and losing out to Danilo was probably the beginning of the end. Um, he, it's, it's sad because we, most guys only get one shot, in moto gp and and for redding now that that door seems to be firmly closing on him it seems like this was the best option on the table i think walds had tied up a lot of their top tier seats pretty early um so weighing it all up this was probably the best option on the board he can walk into the best team unit in bsb and you know, if he's if he's talented and if the talent comes through he'll be an immediate contender at least from where I'm sitting anyway. Um, so, you, like, there's obviously dynamics at play here we, that we still don't know enough about Shaky's condition. We're not going to know about it until November at the earliest as to whether we'll really even be able to race again. So, the question on, on this one could very well end up being, is this the Shaky replacement or is he the fail-safe? Um, we we'll gonna have to wait and see how that situation plays out now that Glenn Irwin has gone to Kawasaki. But, it's it's a massive coupe for, for Bill Weiser Jacati and BSB as a series. Um no no questions there. To have a very talented, homegrown talent that has you know, been a you know a Grand Prix motorcycle racing winner in, in in the in the lightweight and you know intermediate classes. Um and you know been a podium sitter in GP proper. It's a massive coupe for the series and a, a, a nice face for them to build the series around if he's sticking around in the long term. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's only a good thing for the series. And if, if Scott wants to get his career back on track, this might be the way to do it.
0: Yeah. he's looking that way. And, uh, and we wish Scott running well. Of course, he's still got another five motor GP races to go this season. Uh, yet before he moves across to British shores, he might all be followed there. Or actually, should I say he might be beaten there by Danny Kent, uh, who, as we told you last week on bike Live, he's been, uh, given the flick by his speed up team in moto Two. um, now, he's, for what we believe, what we read at MCN, he's going to be testing this week uh, or between now and next weekend with the Hal Suzuki team, um, the team that, um, wrecking my memory, because they, they ride, the riders around that team have changed quite a bit. I'm pretty sure that was the team that Tommy Bridewell started the season on um, uh-huh. b- before, before moving out of that team and uh, joining the Moto Rapido team. Uh, Chrissy Rouse is currently on that bike. Um, but apparently, if Danny Kent's test, which actually takes place next Wednesday, um, goes well, he will apparently replace Chrissy Rouse on that Halsa Suzuki um, at Brands Hatch for the season finale next weekend. So he could see Danny Kent on the British Superbike grid next weekend at Brands, and you'd imagine okay. that will uh, open the door for him next season. He does, he has said to MCN that um, he was in the paddock at Assen last weekend um, that... Uh, And I'll give you his exact quote. After being given my P45 during the week, the plan was to come here and and learn everything about the panic and speak to a few teams. I think it's been quite a successful visit. There are a few teams interested for next year, so we will have to see what happens uh, over the next few weeks. So it definitely looks like a uh, move to BSB is likely, I suppose, for Danny Kent, who's another rider, I suppose, who needs a bit of a reset um, in his career. but. I was just thinking to myself, Dre, we don't quite know yet what Tom Sykes is doing. There is still a slither of a chance that he might go this route as well. Um, we could have, this is a best case scenario, I admit, not like the likeliest scenario, but we could have in British Superbikes next season, Scott Redding, Danny Kent and Tom Sykes all on the BSB grid uh, next season. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that that could happen, that we could have a Grand Prix winner, a Grand Prix World Champion and a World Superbike Champion all from Britain, racing at the British Championship, which, uh, given that British Superbikes is having a bit of a reset with the current top two, both moving out of the class, and uh, as Neil Hodgson put in uh, his commentary on uh, BT Sport Motor MotoGP this weekend, you'd probably say the three best riders in BSB are not going to be there next season if you include Shaky with, with Dixon and, and Haslam. Mm. The Championship is going to look very, very different next season, and it's going to, by all accounts, bring in at least two world-class names.
1: Yes, it's a great coup. Again, you're going to have you're having a big set of homegrown talent coming out, and another big step potentially coming in. You've got GP's uh, Grand Prix Rose, like a racing's last world champion, and you've got the guy that probably should have been the other Grand Prix Roast recent world champion, and Scott Redding. Um, they're great names for the series to have. And hey, if they can get Tom who who's a world superbike champion in his own right, that would be a bonus. Quite frankly, like that is. That would be an incredible flock of talent to bring uh, to bring eyes onto the series, to have, you know, free riders of that quality to fill in, you know, three pretty big shoes to fill at this point in the BSB, uh, in the BSB paddock to have that. So, I mean, yeah, Kent, again, Kent, you don't fluke a world title, especially in Moto3. Mm. Um, he's had his political problems in Moto2. Hopefully a, a new paddock would be a fresh start for him, and hopefully yeah, he would yeah. get... We, I think he needs it too. I think I think there's too much water in that Moto two bridge. I think he just needs to get out of that glass altogether and just start over because he's never gonna make it in Moto two anymore. That much is clear. Um a, a new paddock would be a great fresh start for him. And Tom Sykes well listen, look the grass may not be so green in the in-wilded anymore. It's obvious that other teams are going in different directions, like Honda's building around Leon Camille. MV's probably not going to be around. GRT's going to bank on their super-sport talent, which is absolutely fair. Um, maybe Marco Malandri as well. Pridia's future with Milwaukee's up in the air. There's a lot of uncertainty certainty in World Superbikes right now. BSB might be the way to go to get a solid seat and to get some homegrown fans behind you again. Um, and,
0: and win um, again. Um, because I, I, yes. after I've, said, I've said for a number of weeks about Tom Sykes, I would, I would sooner see him competing in British Superbikes and winning um, than I would see him ride around in the midfield of World Superbikes just for the sake of being there. Um, because I don't see, even if, see, let's say Sykes joins uh, Milwaukee next season, two points. First of all, where is that team actually trying to get to? Um, mm. You know what's the end game with that team, and are they likely to reach it um, in the time that Sykes is there? Um, and second, I don't think Sykes, even if he does well on that Milwaukee back next season, I think he's gone past the point now in his World Superbike career where a big team is going to look at him and try to sign him again. I mean, if he he does well with that Milwaukee yeah. team, Kawasaki aren't going to want to try and sign him back. There's too too much has gone on there for them to want him back. And Agreed. Ducati have got both Davies and Bautista signed down on two year contracts, so um I, I don't see with this, rinaldi in the back with rinaldi <laughs> waiting in the wings as well so um I, I don't see that being being a goer either um so yeah if i was him i'd be going to british Superbikes, and um you know I, we already know that um glenn irwin is going to be on one of the factory kawasaki's um in BSP. we don't quite yet know whether luke mossy is still going to be on the other um so we'll wait and see but that's a uh, that's a discussion perhaps for uh, another week. One rider who is going to be in BSP next season, we do know this now, although there was perhaps rumours earlier in the year that he might well be aiming high in this, is Bradley Ray. This has been announced today as we record this, Friday, October the 5th. Bradley Ray staying for another season with the Bull based Suzuki team. Um, now, um, much like I suppose like with Xavi Forres, perhaps we set our sights a little too high with how well he started the year, Bradley Ray, with that double at Donington. Uh, and of course, the brilliant wild card in World Superbikes at the same circuit. Um, his season has kind of fallen off a cliff a bit since then, um, which has almost in some ways been a timely reminder of how far he still has to go uh, in his career and how young he still is. Um, and given the way his season has kind of unravelled since that brilliant start, Dre, I do kind of, I've come around to the thinking, I suppose, that another year in BSB is probably the best thing for Bradley Ray.
1: Yeah, I think it's getting to a point where the results are a little too inconsistent to really start thinking about Bradley and that next level just yet. I think it reminds me a little bit of Joanne Meir in in Moto Two where I don't it's like he's he not rushed with to... Bradley either. No, like, like again, Bradley's twenty one. What's the hurry here? Like like there's there's no reason to rush him to the very top where he has a greater chance of being exposed. Um let's be frank outside of his Donnington opening weekend, Bradley's not had a particularly brilliant BSB season. Um, you take those that double victory away it doesn't look so great a, a lot of mistakes um you know inconsistencies of the bike you know reliability problems that not kill. it goes on just a string of poor results he was he was again pretty poor at assen as well so like I don't think Bradley's ready for the next step in his career um i think another year with the Hawk racing team at bill Bay suzuki i don't think it's a bad move i think he can get his head screwed back on he can so he can work on his consistency maybe get some better results underneath him and then maybe in 2020 we can think about maybe a world Superbike seat or whatever opportunities may befall him but now i think an extra year can't hurt for sure no
0: absolutely mm. i think he's uh, as Joe mentioned, he's still at very early stage of his career, and he's still got a bit to learn, I think, as as he's proven this year. He's he's made mistakes. You know, he's had those weekends where he's been very much on the pace and he's been competitive enough to to add to those two wins or certainly add to the podiums he's had. You know, I'm thinking Stetterton where he crashed out of the lead. Um, you know, he had that crash at the final chicane came with Danny Buchan at, at Truxton as well. Um, there have been still a few too many mistakes as the season's gone on. And, and yes, as I say, maybe he did set the bar too high. Maybe we got a bit too overexcited with how well he started the year um, yeah. in BSB. Um, but yeah, he's got another year. And and as I mentioned, Dre, the, the British Superbike Championship is going to look very different next season. We've got the likes of Reading and likely Kent moving in. Um, and, and they're not exactly, although they are Brits, I, I almost liken them to two, to two foreigners moving into the British Championship because they, they never came through the British system um, Scott Redding went through this, the, this, the Spanish program, and Danny Kent went through Red Bull Rookies. Um, so, right. so it's not like, although they're Brits, they're not going to have any kind of you know great level of experience of circuits like Cadwell Park, Knock Hill, Snetterton, um, and places like that. They'll know Donington, obviously. They'll know Silverstone, obviously. And they'll know Asin. Um But they won't know an awful lot else. So it's no guarantee that they're going to come into BSB and be immediately on the pace. I'd, I'd imagine... Um, Scott Redding certainly will because he is a world-class talent who will get to grips with it eventually. Um, but they're certainly not going to walk into BSB and just immediately beat the likes of, of Josh Brooks and uh, people like that. But equally, when you've got guys like Bradley Ray and Taz McKenzie waiting in the wings as two very impressive young talents, but Superbike, mm. Superbikes, even though it's losing, it's two, arguably it's three, if you include Shaky, it's three leading lights at the end of this year. BSP's still in a very, very good place going into 2019.
1: Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. Like, again, like, for name value, having Redding, Kent, and Sykes potentially in the series is huge. Maybe even bigger brand names at this point than Haslam, Shaky, and, you know, Dixon potentially moving out of the series. You could argue that's just as valuable, if not more so, to have those three fresh talents coming into the series. A series that... You know, still suffers a little bit from the problem of not quite knowing what it wants to be, Um, but at the same time, still becoming like the strongest domestic bike series on the planet, and just in general, um, playing like a doppelganger to the world championship in its own right. Where we've often said the the British talent roster might be a little bit better than the world one at this point, top to bottom. So. You know, it's it's only a good move for BSP. I mean, we'll have to wait and see on Shaky, but even if he is, even if if that is the end of his career, the series is in very good hands going forward.
0: Mm, absolutely, and uh, and we wish Shaky all the very best as well. Um, I mean, his continued recovery. Um, World Superbikes has had a bit of a silly week. Um, we we talk about silly season a lot in in motorsport. Well, World Superbikes has had a kind of a silly season kind of week in that three riders. Mm three riders, have left their teams since Magni Corp, uh, finished on Sunday. Um, for a variety of reasons, some funnier than others, um, as you'll soon find out. Um, first, let's get to the, the one that kind of makes the most sense. Um, Jordi Torres has uh, left the Envy Augusta team, which, on the face of it, when you immediately hear that, will think, well, why is he leaving that team? What's going on there? Well... Um, the NBA Augusta team have kind of taken a very uh, honourable and very smart decision for the better uh, for the greater good of Jordi Torres really in that Torres is doing these sub appearances in MotoGP for Tito Rabat as he continues his recovery um, from his his horrendously broken leg back at Silverstone Um, Torres is substituting on that uh, Avintia Ducati but rather than race at Magny-Cours, then fly to Thailand, then fly back to Argentina for World Superbikes and then back over to Japan for MotoGP again, where we know Torres will still be substituting. Envy Augusta have decided that since he's leaving at the end of the season anyway, they've let him out of his contract two weekends early uh, for Torres to focus on his MotoGP appearances, cool. um, which I think is a great move from that team, Dre. I mean, Envy Augusta's future is kind of up in the air. We know that they're going to be in Moto2 next year, um, which might well be... Um, you know the the main focus for them going forward um, as mm. a brand. Um, so it made no sense for them to try and you know hold Torres against his will. Not that I suppose Torres was particularly going to make a fuss about it. But no. Torres, who did a very solid job on his debut outing in MotoGP back at Aragon and has started this weekend in Talent fairly well, he's now got a clear opportunity for perhaps the rest of the season to put himself in the shop window.
1: Why not, right? And I think Envy Augusta knows that. We all know that GP is the juggernaut, and he's he's carried himself well in that Vintia team so so far. He's done nothing but good things of his Moto GP opportunity. So, um, you know, MV has done you know the right thing by Geordie and basically giving him the best possible chance to get you know a, a bigger seat in the future because he's not going to get that riding for MV at the moment in World Bikes. They're just not they're like like. Leon Camilla was a better fit for that team and what they're doing right now. And there's no shame in that because Camilla did miraculous things on that MV in the past. Um, so yeah, it's a good opportunity for Jordi to take advantage of the situation and MV's letting go to focus on that. I mean, we don't really have a time scale for when Rabat's gonna come back. I'd like I'd, I'd be surprised if he if he rides again this season, to yeah. be honest, given how yeah. badly his leg was broken. Um I, I don't see any good reason for Rabat to race again this year, just take the rest of the year out, come back maybe for the Sapang test after Christmas, um, and maybe see where you go from there. But like I don't see what the hurry is here to rush him back. Um, just let let Geordie do work. He's doing a solid job, and I think that should be about as far as it goes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Torres, um, who we don't quite know yet what he's going to do um, next season, um, but has been doing a very very solid job on that I, I, that mean, Djokati so far. Um, but just a word on Tito Rabat as well, who uh, continues his uh, his recovery. Um, from that injury I, I'm pretty sure I saw I'm just searching on Twitter now we saw some uh, images earlier this week of uh, of Tito about doing some training uh, in a swimming pool as well doing some um, underwater training it's incredible the progress he's making um, from, from that injury he suffered early in the season and uh, we continue to wish him well and um, yeah we, there is no need at the moment for him to rush back um, as, as Dre mentioned so uh, we wish him well as he continues his recovery and we hope to see him again uh, next season as far as MV Augusta are concerned Maximilian Sheep, whose name you've already heard mentioned in this podcast um, he rode that Aprilia in uh, Superstock 1000 finished the year third in the championship he will be substituting for Torres at MV Augusta in Argentina next weekend which um, is kind of a nice fit given that he's, uh, he's a South American he's from Chile um, and of course yeah, World Superbikes is riding uh, racing in that continent for the first time next weekend so it's a uh, Uh, a signing that makes a lot of sense for both the rider, the team, and the series. Uh, PJ Jacobson's another rider to uh, depart his team this week, much like Torres. He's out of the Triple M Honda team. Um, Florian Marino, another rider out of Stock 1000, is going to replace him next weekend. Um, This one... I don't want to say it makes sense, Dre, because um, neither rider or team have had the best of seasons. They're essentially a satellite Honda team, and Honda themselves are already struggling uh, in World Mm. Superbikes. But uh, Jacobson... You could argue he hasn't really caught the mustard in his World Superbike career so far, but equally, you could argue he hasn't necessarily been given the equipment to show what he can do.
1: Yeah, I can, only enter, I can only echo that sentiment. Jacobson's been fine. I know he's been unspectacular. He's had a couple of top tens here and there, but I know he's not really set the world on fire. But again, you can very much make a case that, well, you know... What's he supposed to do? <laughs> Well, so what's he meant to do when the bike is a latent underperformer like there's there's no getting around that problem at the, the moment like the, the, he has not got the resources to to have any real chance of success in this series so from where i'm sitting you know it's like it, it's hard to really blame pj for this it's just a, a a a not great situation for him and you know it's it's there's better opportunities for him going forward and i hope i hope they come up it's uh yeah, it, it was a it was the wrong place at the wrong time for PJ, and I think he he's probably better off on a six hundred in the super sport. But even then, MV's got competition for that seat right now, so it's a it's it's a tough jam if you're if you're someone like him at the moment. So we will have to wait and see how that plays out. But it, and it's not the most ideal situation for him.
0: No, no, it isn't. And uh, this is the third of them. This is the third of the uh, brightest about their team, and this is without doubt the funniest. Um, unless your name is oh, yeah. Johnny Hernandez. Um, now, <laughs> if you haven't heard this story, um, take a deep seat and um, please be aware that everything that I'm saying in the next minute or so has actually happened. Um, this has actually happened to a rider in a World Motorcycle Racing Championship. Johnny Hernandez turned up at Magni last weekend and refused to ride for the team in a dispute over his hotel room per uh, David Emmett of Motor Matters. Hernandez turned up to Magni late the hotel front office was closed, and he had no hotel room, so Pedicini Kawasaki sacked him. Um, I mean, as you do? Yeah, as you do. First of all, shout out to uh, Charlie Hiscott for the hilarious response to David, to David Emmett where he said, maybe he had to go through CDG and lost the will to live, um, which is uh, oh. CD, CDG, is uh, Paris Charles de Gaulle Airport. Um, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, The suggestion that maybe it took him so long to get through there that he just lost the will to live. Um, Yoni Hernandez <laughs> has lost his Yoni Hernandez has lost his seat that we do know in World is Gabrielli Ruiu, who was going to be his teammate next season at Pedicini Kawasaki, another rider out of the Stock Thousand class, um, he's going to replace him as it as it goes, rather than join him, uh, because he'll be replacing Hernandez this weekend uh, in Argentina. Um, next weekend, should I say, in Argentina? Now, <laughs> Trey, have, have you ever heard anything quite as, as silly as this? This is a rider who we shouldn't forget didn't race earlier in the season at Donington because he didn't have the visa to uh, to go to the UK. Um, it, it, it doesn't reflect very well on World Superbikes, for one, that there's a rider in this class, in this championship, with this lack of professionalism. Um, right. But most of all, it doesn't reflect very well at all on Yoni Hernandez, does it?
1: No, it doesn't. It's like, what was that the only hotel in the area? Like I, like, I don't understand why he's been so defeatist about this. It doesn't quite make any sense to me. Um it's a bizarre situation and I, I suspect as Greg Haynes pointed out that there's probably more to it than that. Maybe the poor performances that maybe they've just run out of patience with him. Um, it's just a potential reason. Cause, uh, yeah, I don't understand this one myself. I, I, I find it bizarre that it's come to this and such an extreme decision for, uh, very to take to just sack him on the spot like that. There's, there's clearly got to be more to it than this. And, uh, yeah, it's it's funny but it's also kind of ugly At this doesn't really make any sense
0: no <laughs> it, it, it is a bizarre bizarre story um, for, for Hernandez um, to, to lose his ride um, yeah this was also reported in Speed week um earlier this week um, but but yeah to give you the uh, to give you the uh, the chain of tweets from uh, from David Emmett yeah Charlie has got said maybe he had to go to CDG and lost the world to live David Emmett replied it was the drive down that did it. Um, Steve, Steve English replies, driving at the speed limit is enough to make anyone crack. Uh, to which David replies, that's what Cruel's control is for, surely. Um, Greg Haynes, as he says, says, um, indeed, but you have to think there's more to it than that. To which Tom Gaymor, motorsport commentator, replies, saying, definitely more to it. The bar must have been closed too. Um, oh, and, and Greg Haynes replies, and the gym. Um, so, so yeah, um, so yeah, he's uh, he's become the butt of a few jokes, unfortunately, as as Johnny Hernandez. Um, oh, this dear. season. But yeah, it was it was Donington because that was famously the weekend that Luke Mossy ended up on his bike um, because he didn't have his visa to uh, to get over to the UK for the Donington round. So uh, yeah, Yoni Hernandez hasn't covered himself in a whole lot of glory um, this season and he is out of that team. Um, one other piece of a uh, rider um, signing news to bring you before we move on to this weekend and it's in Moto2. Uh, because we told you last week that Fabio Di Giantonio Antonio was involved in a bit of a tug of war with his own team. Uh, Grissini, who had... Uh, signed him to a contract that would give him a uh, promotion to Moto2 for 2019, only for them to then sign Sam Lowe's for the bike uh, and the ride that Dijan Antonio was meant to be on. Um, Fabio was then going to take his team to court to get out of his contract. Well, they've clearly uh, come to an agreement because Speed Up have bailed him out um, by signing him to a two-year contract. Dijan Antonio will join Jorge Navarro uh, at Speed Up uh, next season. Um, and I think, that's a, first of all, that's a solid enough team for uh, for Speed Up next season. Um, who lose, of course, Fabio Quartararo for next season. But Di antonio as we discussed last week, Dre, first of all, he's probably too tall for Moto3 now. Um, But also, I think he's at that point now where he's learned about all there is to learn and he's probably as good as he's going to be in this class. Um, So I think this is now the right time for Di antonio to move up. And uh, I think we're all relieved that this uh, potentially messy dispute between him and Cressini has been resolved.
1: Yeah, thankfully nobody likes legal fees. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that's been resolved. DJ Antonio, I mean, one more year in Moto 3 I don't think too much in the long run, but if, if a Moto two seat is there, especially one that was promised to him by Grassini, he's got every right to be pissed off that they went with Sam Lowe's instead. So I'm glad that situation's been resolved. The talent has prevailed, DG will get his will, will get his Moto two opportunity, which he should. He's a very talented rider. And, you know, I've got, got to take a real step forward this season. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what we can do on a Moto2 bike.
0: Mm, absolutely. And we're all looking forward, actually, to this weekend as well. Um, it's the Thai Grand Prix, the first ever Thai Grand Prix in GP this weekend, which Dejan Antonio will, of course, be involved in in Moto3. Um, we're tight for time. So, um, very, very quickly, Dre, this weekend um, – Jorge Lorenzo has made the headlines on Friday with an ejector seat crash in free practice as his uh, Ducati appeared to lock up with a mechanical problem going to the uh, hairpin at the end of the back straight. Um, So we we wait to see whether he will be in action. But our experience over the last four years of watching World Superbikes around this week, uh, around this circuit, I think gives us plenty of reason and good reason to be excited about this weekend. This is a circuit that, from our experience, produces good motorcycle racing.
1: I'm inclined to agree with you there. I think it's a good free-flowing track. Plenty of opportunities to be able to pass. Um, I think there's a lot of potential here. I really do. I, I look forward to seeing how this track turns out in, in these slightly faster prototypes. I'm not sure there'll be quite as many chances, but I think there will be. I think there's a good chance of some really good racing, here, especially in Moto3 of the lengthy straights and, and the hard braking. There's bound to be dramatic racing here. Um, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this weekend. It should be great
0: should be good. The first ever Tiger Grand Prix at Borougham. We'll be back next week on episode 82 um, to review it all. uh, The three races from all three classes, MotoGP, Moto2, and Moto3. Between now and then, um, we will also have a brand new Motorsport 101, um, episode 164. um, The penultimate Motorsport 101 episode that can resemble a darts checkout. Um, And it will be be reviewing... um, a pretty packed weekend of motorsport, Drew. We've already covered the uh, the two wheels every this weekend, but not only is it Bathurst this weekend, which is uh, which is never dull, um, but also the Japanese Grand Prix around Suzuka, which, um, given that it's Suzuka, it shouldn't be dull, but um, the only indications are that Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes are going to make sure otherwise.
1: Yeah, somebody in the Discord chat remind me if there's a way of watching supercars via totally illegal sources. I'm um, regarding this because yeah. I have a bit of a bit a bit of a uh, crap deal with the UK and obviously Motorsports TV going kaboom for the final time, which is a bit of a bummer. But yes, Motorsport, um, when I'm in episode 164, will be out next week. I'll be back for it for sure. So, You know, you can look forward to me being miserable over Ferrari's ever decreasing pace um, on that one Um, coming off Friday. um, Yeah, it's looking like Mercedes are going to absolutely cakewalk this one. Um, They look very, very fast in practice. They've won every hybrid era race um around there um so far this season. So it, it's looking very promising if you're a Mercedes fan. We I think it's now going to get to the point of what well, can Lewis win it a couple of rounds early. I think that's that's gonna come down to maybe a Brazilian title win um more than a uh one where could, we were thinking about uh, a possible title finale two or three rounds ago. So you know, I'm trying to sound positive here, people. Honestly. I'm
0: trying. He, he could, he and could actually, if, if, if it goes really to shit for Friday this weekend, he could actually be in a position to wrap it up at Kota in the next race, which is, don't, which is a, which don't is a remind. terrifying thought. Um, but hey, we oh, shall have, see. Hamilton wins it at home.
1: Lucky him. Exactly. Again,
0: <laughs> uh, but, but we shall see. Uh, the Japanese Grand Prix Suzuki this weekend, as well as Bathurst, um, to be reviewed on uh, episode 164 of Motorsport 101 next week. Uh, where Dre will be back in control. Between now and then, you can uh, get in touch with us via the usual channels, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, at motorsport underscore 101 on Twitter, uh, on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 to find us over there. Our website is motorsport101.com. Um, and as mentioned, if you back us on Patreon... Uh, you can get early access to both of our weekly shows. Backers at any level, actually, you'll get this podcast early. Um, as by way of apology for the lack of early access last week. Um, yep. But if you're backers at a $5 level, you will get the podcast earlier than everyone else on a regular basis. Backers at a $10 level, and you can listen in by our Discord server, and you can also join in on the uh, the 24-7 motorsport chat that is uh, the aforementioned Sinbin, as we call it, the, uh, the Motorsport 101 Discord server. So, um, you know... Who wouldn't want to be involved in that? Uh, back to the $10 level, and you can be too. Um, so my thanks uh, to all of you that have listened in live on the Discord server and for all of you that have listened in um, on demand on this uh, 81st Bike Live podcast here on Motorsport on a 101. We'll be back next week to review the Thai Grand Prix in MotoGP. Um, but until now, now, until then, from myself and Andre Harrison, it's goodbye as we salute four of a kind from Jonathan Bray. See you next week.